Got to put a robot in every home. Look, this is, this is not what I do, but I got an idea for one of your commercials. You could see a carpenter making a beautiful chair, and then one of your robots comes in and makes a better chair twice as fast. Mm -hmm. And then you superimpose on the screen, USR, shitting on the little guy. That would be the fade out. Yeah, I see. I suppose your father lost his job to a robot. I don't know, maybe you simply would have banned the internet to keep the libraries open. Prejudice never shows much reason. No, you know, I suspect you simply don't like their kind. And while automation has long been known to cut labor costs in the United States and displace some workers, new research underscores its pivotal role in widening disparities right now. In the past 40 years, at least half, if not more, of the increasing wage gap among American workers is attributable to automation, according to MIT economist Darren Achemoglu. His research shows this is particularly true for men without college degrees. But if you think of this as just having to do with machines that replace factory workers, it's becoming much more in the 21st century. You know, the last few years have brought rapid advancements in not just hardware, but software and artificial intelligence that have the potential to displace even more workers and more kinds of workers. So we're going to talk about this now and invite stories from your workplace, employees and employers. And we'll touch on some other tech news out today. Mayor Eric Adams has taken his first paycheck as mayor, as promised, in the form of cryptocurrency. Sort of took it as cryptocurrency. Federal labor laws don't really allow for wages to be paid in crypto as of now. So he took his paycheck traditionally, but he says he's going to convert it to cryptocurrency. So joining me now for a tech news roundup is Steve Lohr, who has covered technology, business, and economics for the New York Times for more than 20 years. Maybe you saw his article, Economists Pin More Blame on Tech for Rising Inequality. Steve, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it. Steve, as, as you write in your piece, automation wasn't always seen as a bad thing from a labor standpoint. You write economists point to the post-war years from 1950 to 1980 as a golden age when technology forged ahead and workers enjoyed rising income. So how did they coexist? You get shared prosperity when the technology moves ahead, as does training and education. And that's that was the story from really 19 the early 1950s to the 1980s and after that um, the growth in post-secondary education started to decline in the united states um, employers spent less on training um, and we had started to see this divergence which has only increased when and why did the wheels start to fall off the wagon A again yeah um to the technology that came in and was uh, on the factory floor, it was computerized machinery and robots. And in offices, it's specialized software. Um, and those things were the automation technologies. And the level of skills that people had couldn't keep up with to stay ahead of the new technology. And, and many of these jobs were automated. I, you know, On the office side, I always kind of think of... Um, you know, the, the movie Working Girl from the late 80s, which is Melanie Griffith and Harrison Ford. And she's uh, she works in the secretarial pool in the center uh, and eventually makes her way out to a management job. And, you know, we have 
you know, those pools that existed in the 80s don't exist anymore. I mean, there, you know, we have 750,000 fewer secretaries in America than we once did because those jobs, we all do the input ourselves now. Um, and so those went away. And, uh, and on factory floors, uh, we had the, the automation of uh, computerized machinery and robots that, that uh, uh, you know, that undermine jobs. And we had a policy regime, uh-huh. <laughs> really, that uh, over time has greatly worked to the advantage of the machines and the software and less to the, uh, to, um, to the, to the advantage of workers. Um, and a simple example is the taxation. I mean, the cost for, inve- for a company to invest uh, in a worker with including income taxes and, and, and payroll taxes is about 25%. Um, the, because of a series of uh, tax cuts over time, the cost to in- invest in machinery the tax rate on investing in machinery and software is close to zero. So the incentives are push you also in the direction of automation. And you write, uh, citing one economist in your article, that we may be headed for what he calls the Turing trap, which is a reference to mathematician and artificial intelligence pioneer Alan Turing. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, the Turing test has been around for a long time. It's, it's essentially you create a dialogue system so that that is good enough in its responses to your questions that a human being can't tell whether the whether the answers and the conversation coming from the other side is a human being or a machine and if you can't tell the difference you've passed the turing test and that's a metaphor for you know what technology should do is equal human performance and therefore sort of replace it. And the people who say we should take a different direction in, in technology development say what, what we really should be doing is looking at uh, technologies that enhance human performance rather than replace people. And I mean, the sort of simplest example is the, I mean, is it, of a good technology is a personal computer, which Steve Jobs always described as a bicycle for the mind. It makes you better. It augments you. It doesn't replace you. I guess that wouldn't apply to one of the examples that somebody just wrote in on Twitter. Uh, says, did you see that minor league baseball teams are planning to test robot umpires? Yeah. How are you going to argue with a cell phone? Well, you know, they're, they're doing this a little bit in tennis, too, now, right? On the ball, you know, the sort yeah. of the, the line, for line judges and things. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, no fun. <laughs> and also then, you know, what about, you know, close calls at the plate? That's a whole different kind of visual, um, you know, recognition for a, a robot to do right. the software to do. So I, you know. And I, maybe it's a, you know. Testing gingerly. Most- I mean, arguing with the umps is half the fun, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. But, but you know, and not to um, overemphasize an example from, pro sports, but it raises the dilemma, I think, in a clear way. So if a machine with lenses can call balls and strikes more accurately than a human being, and I think that's mostly how it would be deployed, to call the strike zone uh, more consistently and more accurately than human umpires do, that could apply to a lot of other kinds of jobs. And then the question is really um, pertinent, what if the machines can just do the job 
better? What's our responsibility as human beings to have the best job done versus keeping other human beings employed? You know, it's a very good question, Brian. Um, and from an economic standpoint, you, you know, you want the human beings to be productively employed, not just give them a job that they do less well than the machines. Um, the hope and the way it's has been, you know, for ever since the industrial era began was that, um, the machines took over some jobs, but others were created. Um, that humans could do better working with the machines than um, than a machine could do alone, and that's still an open question as to whether that's what we're going to see happen. Stephanie in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC with New York Times business and technology writer Steve Lore. Hi, Stephanie. Hello, Brian. Um, I have a comment and a question. Um, the comment is that um, your, your guest may have mentioned this in the written article, but just for the listeners to be aware also that um, one of the reasons that the auto workers did so well um, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, even though jobs are being automated, was because the unions, uh, UAW and other unions, um, helped make sure that they would get the training and make sure that they got like a decent percent of the profits and so forth but now uh so the question is what well, now that um you know so few places are unionized and um that kind of thing i, I can picture like a dystopian world where you know there's a, a handful of billionaires that own all the machinery and that we all are just this like underclass of unemployed <laughs> unemployed people that are being re so how do we do we need universal basic income or is there some other way to make sure that, that he who owns the machines does not rule the entire world and that, you know, the rest of us, if, if we can't get it, if yeah. we have a job, that make sure we get a decent um, portion of the profits. That's Stephanie, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that was the Andrew Yang presidential campaign, right? Automation mm -hmm. is taking so many jobs and potential future jobs from human beings that we need universal basic income provided by the government. Right, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I, I I would suggest that the Yang position is both um, you know, way too optimistic about technology and what it can do in the near term, um, and, and sort of pessimistic, too pessimistic about you know where humans fit in. I one of the uh, to, to address your listeners' question. I mean, uh, um, one of the quotes uh, from the MIT economist um, looking at the technology in this uh, um, rising wage inequality is that yeah, yes. But it's not an act of God. You know, technology is a tool and we as a society in terms of corporation, corporate behavior, policy, and we as a society decide to use it. Um, and when people look at what's going to happen in the future, I mean, the, the pace and growth of artificial intelligence is sort of the X factor. Uh, but the people in the, the economists in particular in this article that I wrote were, were we're lobbying for a change in that atmosphere. And some of that atmosphere is exactly, again, as your, uh, as you, as your caller and your listener said, you know, one of the things that's made it easier to automate has been the, the decline of the power of workers. 
broadly, both unions and beyond, and some of these tax changes I mentioned before. And I mean, those are things that, you know, public opinion can change. And we've changed the direction of technology in the past. Again, the Duron Asimoglu, the Asimoglu, the uh, MIT economist, uses uh, what's happened with renewable resources as an inspiration. I mean, this is something that because of incentives, policy, government research, social pressure on corporations to not pollute uh, and contribute to carbon emissions has steered you know, the development of technology in, this direct, in, in, a, in a different direction. And, and his argument and some others are that we ought to be able to do a similar thing with the direction of technology and automation and making sure humans are always in the loop and have a say. Don't hate me, my folks is poor, I just got money. America's five centuries deep in cotton money. You see a lot of rubbers caked up, go straight up. It's new, y'all living off a slave trader's paper. Many of today's blue chip brands have been around for a long time, decades, a century, even longer. And they revel in that long history. This long run, however, is often seen through rose-colored glasses, because many of those histories don't stand up so well in today's world. I'm not talking here just about a past misstep by an ousted CEO. I'm talking here about organizational involvement in the sufferings of a past time. Like insurance companies that backed slave owners, railroad companies that had a role in the Holocaust, banks that assisted military dictatorships, and the list continues with companies that helped exploit indigenous peoples or natural environments around the world. So what's to be done about this? Is all of this just a distant past that can be forgotten in the blur of history? Or should companies get honest about their long record and face it? Today's guest has some perspective on that. Sarah Fetterman studies the way companies talk about their past and come to terms with it, both internally and outwardly. She's an assistant professor at the University of Baltimore and the author of the HBR article, How Companies Can Address Their Historical Transgressions, Lessons from the Slave Trade and the Holocaust. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So to start, there is always competitive pressure on leaders and companies to make the right move in today's world. Why are past moves of yesterday's world something they need to worry about? Yeah, there's a few reasons for that. And I can understand that a lot of corporate executives today, it's the last thing they want to think about. You know, survival is so difficult. They've come into business because they're forward-looking and they're visionaries in many cases, and they're dealing with challenges all the time. So to now all of a sudden be asked to think about the past seems like an unfair burden, especially since they individually had nothing to do with that which occurred prior to their tenure at the companies. And a lot of them come into these heritage brands excited, right? Oh, I work for the Hudson Bay Company. I get to work for Alex Brown. Like there's a lot of pride around these brands and there should be. I mean, to survive as a company is very difficult for any length of time. So there's a few a few reasons. Some are moral arguments, then there's more pragmatic ones, and then there's arguments that are kind of more about what's the opportunity here. There's political moments um, when things open up. And right now we're in a time of international reckoning. It's happening all over the world, not just in the United States. And people are going to confront companies about their past. With the internet, they can find out what they did, right? There's a lot more interest in socially conscious investing. So there's a much more research available. Is there a company or case that you studied that really got you thinking about this issue? For me, it was this, a study of the French National Railways, which is known as the SNCF. 
I had been living in France and just sort of stumbled into studying the country's history, which was complicated. They were a victim of the German occupation. A number of their railway workers were in the, you know, worked with the resistance, but the company also had a role in transporting deportees uh, to the German border where most were taken to Auschwitz. So about 76,000 Jewish deportees were taken and about 3,500 returned. So they have this legacy, this complicated history of being both a victim, you know, a victim, a hero and a perpetrator. And we're forced to kind of reconcile this perpetrator identity in the nineties. And it took about two decades, but they've now really done it more fully than I've seen any corporation do this work. Do people working at companies even understand some of this history? I mean, I just wonder if leaders are being blindsided by, that's what our logo is showing. Yeah, I feel, I have found that. I mean, even within the the French National Railways, when this first came up uh, in the 90s, well, really became public in the 90s as survivors started speaking out, many of the executives had no idea because they had had a post-war narrative of being heroic because the number of railway workers had participated uh, in acts of sabotage and other ways of trying to uh, assist people, even though it was a small percentage, but they had this uh, heroic narrative that the whole country kind of bought into to some degree. That became the story because that was the story that they told. It's right. After the war, they actually made a movie about it, um, La Bataille de Rive. Um, it's not an untrue one. It's just that there's also another piece there. And those are uncomfortable histories. CSX Railways in the U.S. has a history connected to slavery. So these railways do. Amtrak gets kind of a pass only because they were created in the 70s. But all the individual rails in the United States, I mean, they participated in transporting Japanese to detainment camps in World War II. So yeah, for some executives, they're just off the hook because their companies have changed names and so on. But most are surprised, back to your question. I don't I don't think people, most of the time you don't have people, I think, sitting on these histories and tr- consciously trying to bury them. Although some do, <laughs> some 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 do. Yeah, I can see that the, the heritage can be tricky, right? Because many companies go through mergers and acquisitions yeah. and change over time. Obviously, after 100 years, no, none of the same people are still at the company, although you may have some family ownership yes. still. Yes. What do you make of this, the man of his time argument, right? That this was just simply a company of its time. Yeah. And they're not responsible for that anymore. Yeah, I really, it's an understandable feeling and maybe legally that's right. But I think part of the challenge is being in a retributive frame of justice versus a restorative one where it's not about shaming and blaming because we're all we're all using products that have really tainted supply chains and somewhere along the line. Um, so it's less about the retributive side of, you know, you did this and now you owe, but there's a legacy connected to that harm. That harm has continued in these people's lives or in these families or in these communities and needs to be addressed. And those who made the mess clean up the mess or have a part um, in in that work. And so maybe that's us as individuals and consumers, we have a role, but so too do these companies um, that have compounded these profits. Uh, I know it's very difficult to follow the money, but we know if we put money away for a retirement fund, it hopefully grows in 50, 60 years. Can you imagine profits compounding since the 1850s? Right, That's a huge amount of wealth that's been amassed in these Finance companies, for example, that have connections to slavery. Um, And that wealth was not and continues to escape much of the black community in the United States. Yeah, you brought up legally, right? You brought up the legal argument that, that a company may not be legally responsible anymore. 
And I think a lot of attention comes to some of these cases because organizations are sued by, you know, descendants of of slaves, for instance. But you're arguing for doing more than than kind of the legal response. You 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 are arguing that companies carry a moral burden here. That they've inherited they've inherited a piece of it and kind of some want to figure out what portion of it is ours and then handling that. But there's it's irreparable harm. So there's nothing going to be done to fix it, right? It can't be like washed washed away. But there's an opportunity now to do a piece of it. And if they do it well, it actually builds their brand, right? Shows them as partners in social equity. And a lot of companies want to be that today and see themselves that way. They just have this history that they're unfortunately carrying with them that they have to reconcile as well. And probably just takes away from those efforts. I imagine if you're if you're claiming to be a company that you know values diversity, but you have this on your on your historical record, right? And part of that is that part of these genocides or mass atrocities are massive dignity violations. Probably people have heard probably about the Armenians working so hard to have their genocide acknowledged, right? It means a lot to people who are descendants of these or affected by these acts that they be legitimized, that part of their suffering just be seen. Uh, so many of the, a number of the survivors I interviewed were moved by the actual apology that came with checks in, in, from Germany after the Holocaust when they did some reconciliation. It was the words of being seen that somebody cared that their parents were incinerated. Um, so some of it, these companies can do by acknowledging it. Now, they're in a bit of a tricky problem because when they make these statements, they won't satisfy everybody, right? And they can't because people have different feelings about these pasts. Their reasons for apologizing will always be doubted, right? They'll be saying, oh, they're just apologizing because they're trying to, you know, win us over. So they're in that double bind. They're in a damp if they do, damp if they don't position. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about apologies here, but that starts with companies recognizing and accepting, I guess, yeah. that they have some share in a past suffering. Yeah. Transparency has to be the first step. And I encourage them to do it internally first and say, hey, before people are coming to them, right? What is our history? Hey, we're older than 50 years. So likely there's something in there. What do we need to know about it? Can we hire a historian to, to take a look? Because if you're older than 50 years, it's probably there somewhere. You want to know your activities. You want to know what your company has done. And then see if your corporate materials kind of align with that. If you're, a, especially for heritage brands, those that build their branding off of their their long histories. Mm. And then, you know, in some cases, a public statement might not need to be made, right? But sometimes it might be. Can you give an example of a company that's been down this road where they have hired a historian and, and investigated? Yeah. What? So, I mean, this is where I think the French National Railways has been a, a leader, even though, you know, they, they kind of begrudgingly had to deal with their past initially. They did. They hired a historian who spent four years slogging through their archives. They had a lot of archives. And they published the findings. Now, there wasn't a ton in there about the Holocaust because those documents maybe were burned, but there was enough and it made them legally vulnerable, right? So this is why corporations don't want to do this. They don't want to make these reports public. I'm sure their in-house counsel is saying, don't do, don't it. do this. Yeah. Jab Holdings is another example. They're the, the family that owns um, Prêt-à-Manger, they own uh, Einstein. Yeah, they own a lot of different companies, and it's a family company. And they also hired a 
um, and I think it was an employee who who instigated that, but then they they hired a historian to come in and said that they want to be public about that history. And it's to their credit because, yeah, when the SNCF was fighting for its, <laughs> when the French National Railways, also known as the SNCF, was struggling in French courts for a time, um, some of the findings of that of that independent research were used against them. Um, so it, it it was difficult. And this is, of course, why companies don't want to make these full histories public, um, because the laws could change. If law follows public will, um, they could be asked to pay, though the money might be the same on both sides if they have to settle with survivors or if they do public programming or if the court requires them. So it might just kind of happen no matter what. But that transparency definitely will put Jab Holdings in a good position. It shows that the SNCF, the French National Railway, is committed to that transparency. And it's modeling that for others right now. You recommended first starting internally, right? Yeah. Trying to figure this out for yourself. Where does a company go from there? Uh, yeah, I guess, of course, it depends on what you find. But if there was complicity, I would say, if there's a history connected to slavery, I would think it would be a good time to mention that or work. There's some companies have good examples of wording. I think BBH now has Brown Brothers Harriman has a better statement on their website about kind of their connection to the Brown family. There's examples that can be used on how to acknowledge that in, in one's history. And then if there are affected communities to work with those communities. What is the right way to accept responsibility or acknowledge responsibility? Yeah, I, I know that companies are very careful about apologies because if they say, I'm sorry, or, you know, in, in English, that can mean we accept legal liability, right? So they're very careful. That's why these statements are like, is that really an apology? Um, Jacques Chirac gave a beautiful um, kind of apology for French complicity in, in World War II that companies tend not to replicate because they don't want the legal liability that could come with it. But there are ways of expressing regret for the harm which needs to be followed with engagement with those who have been harmed. Georgetown University started this process by finding the community of owned human beings, slaves that the university sold to save itself financially. And this whole community, the descendants still, they live largely together. Um, and so there's been some conversations back and forth about how to assist that community that was directly affected by the company. So I think that is a productive means because it's there's the mea culpa statements but then there's also where's the harm and how can we contribute yeah and you want to be really careful there because you your goal your intention is a meaningful response and you don't want it to be seen as a bid for publicity or pr either it will it will always i suspect to some degree mm, be it's hard to separate yeah, yeah it's hard i mean companies i suspect will somebody will say it you know, you're trying to come out like the good guy. You're just doing this now. Where? Why did it have to take George Floyd to get you to do this? Right? That will be there. And so Margaret Walker wrote a book called Moral Repair. And she made a statement that really resonated with those who represent the perpetrator will just have to accept a certain amount of ire as they do this work, which I think makes it a little bit thankless to some degree. While you'll be, some people will appreciate greatly what you did, others will not. <laughs> and this is the difficulty with irreparable harm. Yeah. I mean, some of the harm is reparable, I imagine. Um, I mean, you can you can bring a river back to life, perhaps, right? You mm -hmm. can you can maybe return some wealth to a community, but you 
you know, there's a number of people who've tried to calculate like what reparations for slavery would cost, right? And in all sorts of different ways and what that would mean. And it's like trillions of dollars, right? It's it's like an, a number that's even hard to comprehend. But even if one were to do that, the suffering of the people that were ripped from their families, right? And what that meant for them and what it meant to be abused in that way, in all the various ways of that, is ir- is irreparable, right? We can't go back and, and, and fix that. It happened. But the dignity violation, which Donna Hicks writes about, can be addressed to these groups of people, right? It did happen. It shouldn't have happened. It's not who we are today. And that's what the field of transitional justice is about. After mass atrocity, when countries say, that's not who we were, right? When Jacques Chirac makes that statement in France, he said, France was occupied. We did these things. We participated in this way, but that's not who France is today, right? It's an opportunity for companies to restate, if they do this, who they are, what are their moral commitments. Your point about media, I think, is also really interesting, right? I think it's the impact on people is wider than, in, than you know, a voice or two in an article. Uh, that's that's right. really important to know. Yeah, it's really important. And I think as those of us who are not currently working in companies that have these histories, to encourage to work with them it's, rather than this kind of just shaming and blaming and attacking, because there's a lot of justified rage that's circulating looking for a target. <laughs> and I understand that that companies don't want to feel that they become the target of that rage. But I think the work in-house that gets creative and works with communities, maybe a small community, right, nearby, and kind of talks about how that work can be done, can make people help help their own employees feel proud about where they work. And I think people want to feel good about where they work. And they want, especially if they're at heritage brands. Do you have any experience with companies that have gone through this and this whole process has turned them into a better organization? I I think for the French National Railways, it has, because they not only did the transparency in terms of do, studying their history, they made public statements, they committed to kinds of lots of commemorative work. They support the Memorial de la Shoah, the Holocaust Museum and, and research organization in France. They have supported plaques at places where people were deported. Um, They've shown all the different ways a corporation can participate. They've met with survivor groups. Uh, And I think that's really important that it's not just one thing. It's not just pay and then you're off the hook, you know, like give the money, like wash your hands of it and walk away. There's a lot that can be done. And having, you know, companies show up to commemorative events, right? And saying, yeah, I mean, I didn't do it, but my company was part of this, you know, and I want to honor that. That's meaningful to people. Is there a current example of a company in sort of the post-George Floyd era that you can point to that you think is a good model? That's a, that's a really good question. One of, one of There was a Fortune article about what's happening to all that money that companies have been giving uh, in the wake of George Floyd. And it was a really interesting article because it showed that much of that money is coming in the forms of loans and financial services that the companies can benefit from. So I was glad that they were kind of following the trace of that. So there was some concern about kind of where is that money going? I I do think these companies are starting to tweak their statements about the past. I know Aetna has done um, quite a bit of work. They were one of the companies that was outed in a in an earlier lawsuit around around 2001 with other companies for offering uh, insurance policies on slaves. Right. For for people who don't know the firm, it's a big insurance provider. Insurance company. Yeah. yeah, it still is an insurance provider. They 
seem to be doing a lot of equity and inclusion work and diversity and and really trying to contribute to those in the present today. It, it seems to be an example of that. How they deal with their past, I'm not exactly sure, um, and that may be they may come along soon. Many of the companies we saw step up in the wake of George Floyd were like like Ben and Jerry's writes this powerful statement against white supremacy, but you know they weren't around during slavery. And Netflix, they weren't around during slavery. So a lot of these statements came from companies that didn't exist. So I was seeing less of them come from companies that actually did have a hand. They kind of seemed to be kind of waiting to see how this was going to go. Because those lawsuits could come back, the ones that actually have those direct ties. But again, for me, it's not about the legal punishment. It's the restorative possibility of this moment. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, January 28th, 2022. So I have been told this is our weekly broadcast neutralizing workplace racism, not for spectators. Uh, If you have Thoughts, observations, suggestions, especially if we have any folks out there, uh, if you have figured out some things, uh, either over your experience working, self-employed, whatever it is, uh, or if you figured out some things just in the new year, like, oh, man, I tried some experimenting. Maybe that was a part of your resolution or what have you. I'm going to try out some new aspects of counter-racist code and figure out some things that work well to solve problems. Let us know. Uh, the number to dial, 720 720- Seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. The number again seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Email address until justice at gmail.com. Address again until justice at gmail.com. If you are not able to dial in or do not feel comfortable uh, divulging, maybe you don't want people to how you sound, that sort of thing. You can email, remain anonymous, and we can share your commentary if you have suggestions, questions, input to offer untiljustice at gmail.com. A few things before we get to folks who dialed in. Uh, Let's see. The two reports that we heard, the second report, HBR HBR cast. Harvard Business Review. Uh, we played segments from them for years at this point. Uh, they had Sarah Fetterman, suspected race soldier, as a guest on the program, talking about the so-called international reckoning happening at many companies and wanting to atone for slavery or previous Holocaust violations of human rights. Notice they don't say racism, white supremacy. They did mention the term at some point, but that's not what the apology is for, for slavery and other things. Uh, I thought that was timely. One, we just 
had Dr. King's holiday and we are literally days away from February and it might be a whole month of that sort of folly for Black History Month. If anything like this pops up in your workplace and we just had uh, B in Toronto, she wrote in and she talked about how they had something like this in Canada. I don't uh, remember exactly when they have Black History Month in Canada, but I don't think it's in February. But she said they had something like this and she asked questions, may have even made a statement or two, and it produced problems. I'm of the opinion if they have anything like this, I have never, I've never heard like in my personal experience, it's never happened to me. We've never had anyone call in and say, man, they had a project or a speaker training something relative to so-called Black History Month, and I spoke up. I gave him my definition of white supremacy racism. I talked about Neely Fuller Jr., Dr. Kamal Kamban, Dr. Tommy Curry, Shirley Chisholm, Dr. Welsing, Pam, whomever. Your own theories on white supremacy role. What I've never heard a black person, a victim of racism, period, say anything like that. And it ended with, man, I got the biggest raise ever. I've never even heard that conclude with, I got a half a bag of peanut M&Ms. I've heard it with, I got mistreated. They gave me dirty looks. I lost friends. I did not get a raise. <laughs> like, I've heard all kinds of permutations like that. We even heard one from a black male. I think he, you know, it might have just been that he asked a question. I think that's what it was, which I say is okay if you want to ask a question. But they came and asked if he would volunteer to participate in talking about white privilege and all the rest of it. This is not the time to volunteer if, if uh, a white person or even a non-white person, if they come and ask, we have a project on Carter G. Woodson, it's Black History Month, and would you be interested in participating? I'm sorry, I just won't be able to join you. Maybe even you can make it fewer words than that. Just got a lot of projects going down. My time and energy is in great demand. Just won't be able to help like to, but I can't. Maybe that's all you do. I like to, but I can't. I'm sure you all will do a great job. Wish you the best. Can't wait to see what you come up with, that type of thing. But I mean, absolutely not. I've never heard. I've heard where people got in, like I said, people got in trouble, caused problems, white people sabotaged it. I think with the black male, I believe he asked a question. Like I said, question asking is okay. If something happens, you want to ask a question? No problem. I think he asked a question a logical question at that. And then they came up afterwards and, oh man, can you come and be part of this group? And they asked him some tacky assignment, like explain to the white people what white privilege is or some nonsense like that. Somehow before all of this happened, well, I said, man, I would try to get out of that. I don't want to do that at all. That's like a total setup. They came and said, oh, we have to get clearance from human resources to make sure that corporate attorneys and everybody says that this is okay. So we'll have to delay this project for some time. Hopefully it would be hopefully it'll be a permanent delay and they'll never get around to it, which is A okay, uh, in my opinion. But do not be lulled into that, even if it's uh someone who is classified as black and they have the best intentions with whatever the project is, I without fail. Like I said, I can't think of one time where something constructive happens where uh, the black people got Starbucks cards. The black people got an extra day off. Uh, a black person got a raise, uh, promotion, nothing. 
I've never seen any of that. I've seen where this sort of thing can just be tacky and a lot of nonsense. I didn't hear anything from uh, Sarah Futterman, which suggested it would be anything else. Even when the dates, when she said, you know, you've got some of these white companies uh, that have been profiting since 1860, 1870. Imagine the accumulation and interest you would earn. Hey, I am an alumnus University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson. Those shirts say 1819 on them, not 1860. So, I mean, hey, you got folks who have been profiting for substantially longer than 1860, 1870 off of the abuse and terrorism of Negroes. When, and even the languaging, that's why I said I don't believe in. I used to be one of those where they had, they had duped me. They, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to call Frederick Douglass the rest of the owned Negroes. I'm not going to call them slaves. I'm going to call them enslaved. Now they got the new one owned human beings. If they were human beings, we wouldn't have this problem. Man, not Woman not trade Frederick Douglass for a barrel of molasses or a mule. Uh, let's see. And then even the not, that's why I said I don't believe it. When Sarah Fetterman, HBR cast, she says, we got dignity violation. Mr. Fuller, he said, we got the dignified slave and silly slave, right? But how do you, dignity violations, we will restore your dignity. What does that even mean? In a system of white supremacy, let's pick an example. Let's take old Anthony Broadwater. We got a lot of companies who participated. They said they talked about specific white people who came up, police officers and things, who got promotions and all the rest of it. Okay, Anthony Broadwater, you lost your dignity. You were incarcerated, listed as a sex offender for a quarter century. We're going to give you back your dignity. We're going to have the Anthony Broadwater Dignity ceremony. We'll give him a cape and a crown, have beautiful pictures of him. Beyonce is going to come out and sing a song. We will heap buckets and buckets, barrels even, of dignity on Anthony Broadwater. You see the response that I just did right there? That's about how you should be for Black History Month. When they come in and say that we are going to do a dignity ceremony to honor our past wrongs i don't have anything to say now that one if you have a question what exactly is the dignity ceremony what 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 problem is solved with the dignity ceremony and just write down the answer and that's a great hmm. but no statements watch your body language and that sort of thing you take notes and hope it doesn't last too long hopefully you're on the clock if you have to participate in this sort of nonsense Anytime during February. Uh, let's see. The last thing with Sarah Fetterman's segment sheet, when the host asked, can you think of some folks who have done this well? And she talked about the French railway company. And I said, hmm, that's interesting, because she said most people don't follow the example because it might have some legal ramifications, which it should if you've been engaged in some sort of human violations, criminal activity white supremacy, racism. There should be some culpability. But she said, she already said that most people don't follow that example. And that was not related to racism, white supremacy, abuse of black people specifically. So then the host comes back and says, well, hey, can you think of something that's 
here, stateside, dealing with slavery, racism, white supremacy? She said, mm, that's a good question. Mm, that's a tough one. Mm, mm. Oh, yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mean, yeah, a lot of that because folks are, are doing things. And what she said was it seemed like a lot of companies were doing things that benefited them in some manner. They would do some financial services or whatever else where maybe we're not going to do any compensation, but we'll give you a reduced rate for our services. And then she mentioned Aetna and said, but even there, it was a lot of word, man, talk about pussyfooting in those words. It was diversity, inclusion, equity. I don't know, you know, what all of that entails. Like, you would have to get into the specifics. Like, what exactly does that mean? What exactly are they doing that's supposed to spell all of that out? She said somewhere in there there's supposed to be some compensation, but she didn't provide any of the details of exactly what is Aetna doing. Or do they have any projects planned for Black History Month? Incidentally, she mentioned Ben and Jerry's and how some of these other com- companies, they had really strong statements about white supremacy, racism. I don't care. Not that I recommend consumption of Ben and Jerry's products. I know they have some lame ice cream that features uh, Colin Kaepernick on the front, Cal Bell. I do not care. No consumption of dairy anyway, so the bulk of their products, you know, that'll kill you anyway. We don't need that. When a, in an obesogenic environment, I don't really need to hear a whole lot from Ben and Jerry's about white supremacy or anything else. Uh, the other segment, the first segment, actually, that was from WNYC, uh, Steve Lohr, suspected racist New York Times. Uh, he writes for the New York Times, although that was WNYC, and they were talking about automation in the workplace. I thought that was interesting because they keep talking about all of these labor shortages uh, across all spectrums and around the world. I said, hmm. I think we had said before, like, everything about COVID-19, this environment could usher in more cashless transactions. Got a lot of places, businesses, uh, where they said, hey, you know, let's cut down some of the contact and what have you. Let's try to do cashless. Uh, everything could uh, exacerbate that, speed that process. May also uh, speed up the process of having folks be hybrid or having more folks work from home, having it be a little more obsolete where everybody is required to be in the office five days five days a week. May also speed automation in some sectors. I just saw they had reports where some businesses have been experimenting with uh, some form of automation, uh, even in fast food chains, because they don't have enough workers. I don't know how plausible that will be in all industries, especially cost and what have you, but I could see this speeding the process if they continue with saying, hey, we've got these labor shortages and labor shortages and labor shortages uh, in all areas. Uh, they said that the automation, this has increased uh, the so-called wage gap, taking away all these lower paying jobs that presumably a lot of non-white people would have. We're talking about uh, sanitation workers. Showed an uh, image of a young white boy hugging his black sanitation worker uh that's you know about to be super antiquated used to have like three of them on a truck you need like two drivers and then maybe two three four actually maybe uh two people up front in the cab and then two people on the back doing the the cans and all that like most places now it's one easily super soon that could be zero have all that automated have you know truck can do itself and then got the automated arm on the side get all the cans and you know don't need anybody to do any of that 
We talked about all the other jobs that, you know, have gone by the wayside. I could see this speeding that process along as well. Uh, see, so he also talked about. Oh, oh, oh. When they talked about uh, union workers fighting back and say, hey, we're not uh, in opposition to robots, that they will enhance and allow us to do more and better. One, I strongly think that they're talking about white people predominantly. They are not talking about uh, non-white people being enhanced in their work environment and being able to be more efficient in getting things done. That generally is the efficiency that they're talking about, reinforcing and strengthening uh, the system of white supremacy racism. Uh, but I don't see uh, any process where non-white people will be uh, empowered in the workplace uh, in the midst of all of this increasing technology and automation. I don't really see that happening. I could see a greater divide where you have more people who are not familiar with this technology, not skilled uh, in being able to use it, incorporate that uh, into their work. I could see that. Uh, and increasing the divide, just in what they've been talking about over these two years, and saying, "Man, students are showing an impact." You got all these, or a substantial number of non-white students who do not have Wi-Fi and computers and all the rest of it, so that's impacting their ability to learn. If it's going to be remote and all the rest of it, hard to see that not showing up in the workplace as well if this continues. But we shall see. Uh, the number to dial again is seven two zero. Seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. The number again, or excuse me, the email again. Until justice at gmail .com. Until justice at gmail .com. Uh, I will share the emails as we proceed. I reckon I'll check the switchboard. Let's see. Uh, folks who dialed in, uh, star six one, if you have commentary to share, I'll check there first, uh, see if they have commentary. Uh, if they are spectating, then we will get some of the emails out of the way as well. But let's check uh, the switchboard, see if folks uh, have commentary, suggestions, thoughts uh, to share uh, for workplace rate. And again, if the COVID 19 situation. I didn't have any audio clips directly about that per se, but with the vaccine mandates, I know in some places those mandates have been uh, instituted over the past few days or so since the beginning of the year. If that's happening in your area, let us know. Like we talked about last week, since the Supreme Court decision where they said it's not constitutional, President Biden doesn't have the authority to enforce you know, these business mandates where I said, man, it might be so, or it's not might. Some companies have already reported they have changed their policies, minimized or reduced their policy policies since then. So uh, if you have thoughts, if you have, you know, how things are kind of operating with the whole vaccine thing in the uh, work environment, let us know that is certainly something to uh, be mindful about uh, in the midst of all of this uh, confusion, uh, trying your best to promote safety in the workplace and uh even just being informed uh, as many of these policies have changed so much day to day uh, with just trying to be current uh, about what is expected of you and others in the work environment. Uh, but let's see.
might. Looks like folks might be spectating presently, not for spectators, but we'll nab one email uh, and then check in, see if folks uh, have thoughts uh, with regards to things that are happening in their work environment. Uh, so one person did write in directly about COVID-19. Uh, their commentary, greetings, Gus. I think things are starting to stabilize, decline regarding the latest, latest COVID-19 surge in the hospital, but still a lot of patients, a lot of inpatients with COVID. There were weeks when they were turning conference rooms and room closets into triage areas. Wow. They are now reporting significant shortages in availability of drugs, infusions that treat COVID-19 infections. Two, holiday parties amongst suspected racist coworkers at restaurants, bars, and family get-togethers seemingly went on as usual. That is crazy. Uh, a lot of coworkers have gotten COVID-19, which makes or staffing shortages. There have been so many reports talking about uh, staffing shortages. That's why the robotics, us, mm, all this could go together. Uh, one coworker's parent was hospitalized recently for COVID and unfortunately died. I think they were vaccinated. Person was immunocompromised, but still working every day until being hospitalized. Mm. Number three, the memo has been sent out. Mandatory vaccination is going to be required by all coworkers by March 15. Ides of March, Julius Caesar's murder. Wow. Interesting. Uh, exceptions for medical or for a sincerely held religious, spiritual, or ethical belief, practice, or observance, in quotes. Now, I mean, that is a mouthful. What does that even mean? Booster shot is not required. How interesting. That's one you kind of have to see if that will change as time continues. Number four. Lastly, I was exposed unknowingly to a COVID-19 positive nursing home patient who was asymptomatic earlier this week. Tested positive at the nursing due to an outbreak, but the nursing home staff didn't bother to tell anyone before bringing them to the hospital for an unrelated problem. Go figure. Exposed a lot of people since additional precautions besides masks were not taken. Isolation. Uh, I tested negative so far and have no symptoms. Oh, well, just another day on the plantation. Now, incidentally, uh, this investor wrote in uh, some time back and said, man, it looks like many of uh, my coworkers are not taking this seriously. I don't uh, recall the region if they shared or what have you, but not that it matters. Uh, but they had said, you know, it looks like a lot of them, they're not following the rules, uh, you know, masks. Mask and tell me what to do with all the rest of it. He said 
I'm, you know, going to get vaccinated, even though I'm hesitant about this. This is not something where I'm, you know, going to be gleeful and, you know, go smiling and roll up my sleeve and whoopee and wonderful. But he just said, hey, I, I do not trust these folks. They do not look like they're taking it seriously. I do not want to mess around. And then one of them gets it and comes in here and they're high-fiving and hugging and all the rest of it. And then, bam, I get it. And who knows, you know, what kind of protocols I have to go through. So, uh, one, it seemed at least, you know, he was seeing correctly what was happening and trying to do the best to take care of himself, to keep himself safe. Uh, but that sort of recklessness, and then you're not properly informed uh, where they're bringing in, uh, if it's patients or just have, we've had so many people who've talked about other workers uh, who tested positive, and they might have a policy in place where if you test positive, you're supposed to be quarantined. You're not supposed to be at work at minimum. You're at home, whether it's five days, 10 days, whatever it is, and people are not following that for whatever reason. You've had some folks who say, hey, I think this is just more white defiance. I'm white. You don't tell me what to do. I'm going to come in and call on everybody. You've had other folks say it looks like, you know, they got PTO. They already got plans for what they want to be doing in the summertime. They don't want to waste up all their PTO over the Rona in winter. So, you know, they tested positive, but they're still coming in because they're saving their PTO or whatever else. So you really have the same thing I've been saying about safety. You really have to look out for your safety and well-being on your own. That would be another super reason why I would not be participating in any let's go out for brunch, breakfast, let's have a potluck, any of that with white people or non-white people. I'm not eating anything that you brought in like I'm, you know, taking this super serious, not doing any group activities. Let's continue with the social distancing and just take this real serious until. That would be the smart way to go as opposed to, you know, we're going to fry, especially if you're in one of those regions where people are not, where that seems to be the prevailing attitude. We're not taking it serious. There's no Rona. Let's go out, play Frisbee, free tag, you know, all the rest of it. Give each other hugs. Uh, every five, like, you know, hey, at work. And that's the way once this is all over, this would continue. Like, not going back uh, to all of that not hanging out. This is not all that touch and feel and grab and all the rest of it. Like, hey, we're here to work, not fraternize, certainly not to be fondling and, and groping uh, or whatever. Like, come on. Much obliged uh, for writing in, good sir. Hopefully you can, you know, take everything as serious as you uh, possibly can, especially if you work in any sort of medical environment. I've seen so many reports that they talked about. They've just been uh, staff have been really stressed, and it's been so many people coming into the hospital, COVID-related things, and non-COVID-related issues. So do lots for your self-care. Make sure you're taking uh, just being mindful uh, about how all that is, is impacting you. Uh, having, you know, to worry about, am I going to catch COVID-19 or anything else? Like, make sure you are taking time to replenish and rejuvenate yourself, uh, person who wrote in and all the other folks who are listening in. Uh, let us see. Folks might still be uh, spectating. Number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate, again, broadcast not for spectators. Uh, if you have commentary, uh, observations to share your work environment, uh, I'm certain, or I guess, 
folks will be back in their work environment now. Uh, I know the holidays and everything, folks hopefully have some time off and all that good stuff. But I think all that has been done for a minute. Uh, so people should have some observations, 2022 observations for things that are happening in the uh, work environment. Uh, if things are going that splendid in your work environment, well, then bravo for everyone. Make sure you invest in the cows, racism-notes.blogspot.com racism-notes.blogspot.com. Listener-supported counter-racist radio PayPal button is in the top right corner. Much obliged to all the folks who have kept us on the air for, it'll be 13 years if we get to February 2000 of 22. So much obliged. Hope everything continues to be problem-free in the workplace. If that is the case for folks listening in, uh, let's see. Uh, and if that is you, then you should still have tips. How did you do it? Share so we can duplicate all of your carefree workplace existence. Uh, let's see. Folks uh, with hands up. Let's see. Let's see if we got suggestions or problems. Folks with hands up. Can I jump in here? Yes, sir. Hello. We can hear you. How's it going, Gus? I was right uh, listening. <laughs> I understand that, man. I have to say that uh, you had a very interesting show on uh, Wednesday with the movie review, and uh, the ideas that you guys were presenting were quite interesting. Uh, one that I don't think I heard, but I didn't get to go through the complete show, was uh, about uh, Terminator. The Terminator series is based off of a uh, uh, – the Terminator is actually, I'll say, invented by a black guy, Dr. Miles Bennett Dyson. And if you understand the storyline, when um, uh, Arnold and the, the white lady and his son showed up to the guy's house, they shot his house up, almost uh, killing him and his wife and his child. But then after they got in there, they talked to him and told him how, uh, you know, the, the network was going to get destroy the world. Long story short, Mr. Dyson, being the good Negro, broke into his company and uh booby trapped it with bombs and long story short uh the white lady the child and the terminator made it out he ended up blowing himself up in the building um that's one the other one was there's a movie on netflix uh i, I believe the guy's name is anthony mackie something like that he, he plays in i guess he's in that captain america stuff uh he's got to have like a wing suit where where he has a wing on anyhow Long story short, it's a, a military movie about future AI where the government took a person and turned them into some type of AI. Uh, black dude goes rogue on a drone mission. And so I guess the punishment for him was to put him with this other black dude who was that piece of AI. It's a really good movie, but it's blatant like racism right in your face about how they view uh Black maleness. I mean, I it, I don't watch a lot of movies. I don't consume a lot of entertainment. So when I do watch it, I watch it with a very um, careful eye. But this one, it was so blatant to the point where it, it, it was crazy. I mean, racism, white supremacy all over the place. Um, the, the thing that I would like to comment about the uh, audio that was played, the first and foremost with the uh, side of artificial intelligence taking jobs, uh, the way they spoke about unions being a positive thing, uh, I believe that should be framed in the proper context of unions were a positive thing for uh, white part. Unions were put together, black people out of jobs uh, back in the day. 
and if you really study it, you'll see it's only for a fraction of time that black people actually got access to unionization and the benefits that came with it. Unionization benefits were generally reserved for white folks. So you saw as soon as black people were able to start breaking into the unions and getting those benefits, all of a sudden union busting became a big thing through the 70s and 80s. And when you look at what uh, Reaganomics did with busting up unions, uh, so that, that group of black folks who actually got benefit out of being in a union in general, not just the United Auto Workers or the United Steelworkers Union, you'll see that they're a very specific age of black folks. I know growing up, I worked at a grocery store, and there was a union there, but the union wasn't squat. The only union I ever was a part of that was anything was for a uh, parcel delivery service. And I guess it did protect me in certain ways, but in reality, it wasn't this great experience that I had been told by older generation of black folks that unions were going to save the day for you and they provide you with job security, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's interesting to see the unionization push now by these employees who are at like the Starbucks level. I think it's a Starbucks out there, maybe it's Starbucks in Seattle or something like that, or Virginia or something like that, where they're pushing for unionization and they got it. And it was considered a big uh, success. So the union side, I think, is something that uh, is quite interesting. Uh, but artificial intelligence, yeah, it's going to take a lot of jobs for the simple fact that um, you can train a machine pretty much now to do anything a human does. It's one individual that I know, they told me pretty much uh, companies aren't looking for technology to help the employee. They're looking for technology that allow them to fire people. So they don't really want to have to hire you. They just want you to be able to work as they want you to work. And I think that you will see that's already happening, such as stores like Walmart, where the whole front now is uh, self-checkout pretty much. Uh, there's automation even on the cleaning side. I see at Walmart they have the uh, automatic floor cleaners that just drive around cleaning the floor up. Those are usually jobs that, at least from my perspective or from what I've seen, are jobs that uh, – Traditionally, you know, black people work. And so when you look at the employment market for lower-end jobs, a lot of that stuff's going automated because it's so much simpler to do it. Concierge stuff, um, even in the uh, supermarket, not, I, I don't want to use supermarket, but uh, how can I put it, like gas stations, quick check spots, places like that, they're looking at how they can automate so that pretty much they don't have to staff people because they know that a lot of people don't really want to work those jobs because those jobs are usually 24 hours. They're low pay. Um, there's a lot of demand. You got to deal with the public. You got to worry about getting robbed. So people tend to take those types of jobs and work them until they can come across something better. Well, the answer to it is, Hey, let's automate it. Make it where a machine's able to go and grab the chips for you and grab the beverage for you. And you don't have to do anything. Just show up, touch the screen, boom, boom, boom. And you're able to go. Um, in terms of COVID, I've actually come over this whole period of time, I haven't known anybody who passed away, but just recently I found out two people that um, I've known of passed away from COVID. One of them was a ER nurse, um, and then I believe it was her sister. Now, I don't know how uh, the sister got it. I don't know if the sister got it from her sister, who's the ER nurse, but there are two black people. They're older, though. I believe they're like 50s. I, I, some people might not say that's old. I'm not saying it's old, but it's older. Uh, they're in their 50s. 
maybe heading towards their 60s. Um, the lady who did the thing about uh, slavery and the Holocaust, one of the things I have noticed is there never seems to be a discussion about anti-black racism without them trying to shoehorn somebody else in there. You know, and it's one of those things that I think black people we need to pay attention to about how other people use our plight to get gain out of it so that when they try it, I mean, you could tell them and try to stop them, but it's like jujitsu. You know what I'm saying? You got to figure out how to use it against them. You got to figure out how to take what they're trying to do and use it to your advantage. That's all I have for now. Thank you. Much obliged, our caller in Ohio. Uh, that's why I said I think they talk so much about labor shortages, uh, and there's some evidence that that could be absolutely true in terms of labor shortages. I mean, the police department, the cannabis dispensary, like it, the Apple store, anything you can think of, the airport, any industry that you can think of. From what I've seen, labor shortages, any of the restaurants that you can think of. So uh, that absolutely could be the case. And as you said, like, hey, we can get a robot to do this. We can get a robot to do that. Like, hey, we don't have to worry about these folks coming in and working a small amount of time. They get something better. Like, yeah. So I could easily uh, see that being the case in a lot of areas, particularly businesses where you have low wage workers, lots of non-white people like, yes, more and more robots. Uh, Incidentally, neutralizing workplace racism. So. That is the focus. But Dr. Kevorkian, hope it was constructive, folks, having him on the program. His book, Color Monitors, Terminator and The Matrix, those two franchises are like the central films of that book. So he talks about both of those movies extensively. He has photographs of Miles Dyson's character uh, in the book. The actor, the black male uh, actor who plays Miles Dyson actually did the audio narration for Invisible Man, which is all about automation and the man not, which we read back in 2018. But I think Dr. Kevorkian and I, over the 13 years that he's been a guest on the program, we have discussed every movie in the Terminator series. Uh, I think we actually did the early set Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those during his first visits way back when 2009 and then uh, we even did the one that came out last year uh, Genesis or whatever we talked about that one uh, in 2020 during the Rona and all of that all in the archives Terminator series fear of a black planet in Terminator 2 with Miles Dyson talked about that too he has pictures of that shot in the book color monitors uh, other folks uh, who dialed in, uh, if you have commentary, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus, and uh, callers and listeners. I had a question um, about that uh, HBR uh, segment. They mentioned Georgetown. Didn't you interview one of the descendants? From Georgetown a few years ago, descendants of the uh, slaves were sent to Louisiana. I think that is true. I'm forgetting the name, but that does sound very familiar. 
Yeah. It, what what struck me by it when you entered, it was a woman. Now, Georgetown, billion-dollar endowment, they offered, I guess, the descendants uh, to come to the university for uh, education. That was, I guess, their offer. So she took them up on it, but they made her take out loans. They didn't give her a scholarship, which I found, you know, just offensive. But, yeah, I remember you interviewing that woman. You know, it, it kind of brought home what uh, the woman was talking about, that basically it's not really trying to repair anything. But uh, that's all I had. Much obliged, sir. That's that was my conclusion uh, from listening to her, listening to her, uh, Sarah Fetterman. Uh, that's her name from the HBR cast. Uh, she was talking about these so-called companies that are looking to do the right thing. Uh, I'm gonna have to see if I can go back in the archives. Thirteen years has been a long time to see if I can uh, get the vic- uh, victim guests. Uh, name uh, because I mean exactly what you said with the amount of finances that whites have in general oh I do remember that that's right that's right that's right um, that did happen I just had to go back to get the victim's name uh, but yeah like they could do easy programs I talked about that with all these major universities uh, where they're talking about oh we want to do some sort of you know reparations program and I mean nobody is in business like these major white universities and institutions they could easily have some sort of reparations packet. I talked about that for Northwestern in Illinois. They said the same thing. We want to do our diversity package and make up for this. We mistreated the Negros in this area and didn't allow them to go to school. Make it free. Black person connected to this area, Evanston. Free uh, tuition, board, all that, books. Just come, get a degree, get five of them. You know, like we're really going to improve quality of life. You'll know lots, study racism or whatever else, how to remove lead from water. You need that. They're close to Flint. Could be lots of things. That's not what they did. Georgetown, as you said, major. And they could name it after uh, John Thompson, the John Thompson reparations program. All right. Woo. That's not what they did. That's why I said they're not really serious uh, about solving this problem or at least I've seen no evidence of that at this point uh, let's see other folks who dialed in the email is until justice at gmail.com the number is 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate uh, other folks with a hand up proceed may I be heard uh, yes sir greetings we can hear you uh, greetings Gus callers and listeners um, just you know the NPR clip some aspects that I I disagreed with and one of them was the um the kind of like 
I guess he was saying basically is that there was a change in the office structure and there were no longer as many like women in this kind of EA or uh, administrative role and, and in kind of corporate America. And I'll be quite frank from what I've seen um, working in companies, uh, the majority of women, the majority of people that are outside an office tend to be, females and it, it tends to be you know um white women mainly but also black women as well in these administrative roles and sometimes they may not be in administrative roles but they are outside of the office and i've seen this um in communication companies i've seen it in um advertising agencies everything you name it um corporate insurance companies same pro same situation hasn't really changed at all and we as non-white people <laughs> i mean talk about the bottom of it um either in some kind of role that's of service like technology um which i speak for myself as well in that or in a role of um you know messaging like mail so that's that's one thing that I've I've seen on a consistent basis, um, working in different environments in the Northeast area. Um, and one thing I wanted to bring up was a scenario that I encountered in my office that I'm currently leaving is that my company is currently doing a split. One side of the company is going to go into and become its own entity, and the other side is going to stay the same. We... Um, I got notification that I was going to be a part of the split through um, a phone call. And in the phone call, they then told me like, Hey, you know, you have the chance to take this new opportunity and be a part of this new company and it's going to be great and everything is going to be good. And, and I was just like, okay, well, let's see what happens. Um, I then proceeded to fill out the paperwork um, and in the middle of that, I saw that if I didn't, when reading the paperwork, again, reading so important in this aspect, I saw that if I didn't take the, the actual offer, it was more like an ultimatum that if I don't take it, I'm fired. <laughs> that was pretty much it. That's what they were actually doing. So it wasn't really more of an offer. It was more like an ultimatum. And so I took the, the offer just to bear in the meantime, because I, I don't think that it's obviously not good in that aspect from my perspective. Um, and what solidified it was when I had a meeting with my manager, um, we had a, a, basically a conference call via, you know, uh, teams, kind of a computer situation there. And when we looked on the screen, when I looked on the screen, the majority overwhelming people that I saw in this team's meeting were all black men. And immediately I knew I, I have to leave the company because there's no way <laughs> that management got together and said, Hey, you know, let's help out the black males and let's give them this great position and this great new opportunity and this new line of business that we're creating. There's no way not possible. Um, so immediately I, I jumped off the meeting and just I've, ever since then, I've been just trying to get myself situated and get things together 
and um, moving on with my quote unquote career and getting out of this um, office that I'm currently in. Um, but um, that, that's all for me right now. I, I do have something else to put in as far as commentary, but I'll save that for a little later for anybody else who wants to comment. Thank you. I'll be my line. Man, I hope the uh, context of white supremacy is not responsible for your uh, jaundiced outlook on life, sir. Uh, he said they they come around and, you know, we got this new opportunity. Reading is more important than watching television, especially with any sort of uh, policy and procedure update, uh, any sort of changes uh, to the company, uh, any sort of merger or divide in the company, and we're splitting and doing this and change to your position and duties. Like, oh man, read all of that very carefully. Ask questions if you don't understand. Apparently, when he read, it was, oh, they're not coming in. We are really looking out for your best interest. This is a part of our diversity, equity, and inclusion program. We, in the spirit of Carter G. Woodson, we want to help the Negro. You know, Negro History Month is next month. And we want a part. We want to be a part of the change. See ourselves in, in the spirit of the great President Barack Obama. That's not how they came. They put it in the small print. Uh, Either you take this position or you're out of here, Negra. Then he said it was confirmed. He went and looked and there was a whole screen full of black males. Said, oh, let me go and refresh. My <laughs> like I said, dang, it couldn't be that you don't think they they just love the black male. You don't think that they wanted to look out for the black brothers. Black History Month and they got inspired. Dr. King's holiday and they heard the I have a dream speech and you know, I'm a I'm a be my brother's keeper. I'm a lookout. We got a few few Negro males around here that yeah, we can do right. Yeah, I'm out of here. Like, oh yeah, let me get get my things together right now because this is a total setup to get rid of us. Like, unfortunately, that is the logical, intelligent way to think in the system of white supremacy. Is all I can say. Like. The way you would rather have it is to be proven wrong. You're not going and broadcasting. He didn't say he was going and uh, messaging all of his black brothers who were there on the Zoom. Like we got to revolt brothers. They're trying to get. He didn't say that. He just said, hey, I'm going about my business, making sure my resume is up to date and looking for other options for myself because I see the writing on the wall. It is get rid of Negro mail time. Apparently, that is a very, very popular activity in many work environments. Get rid of the Negro male. If we have any here at all. Can I, can I say something else, Gus? Let's hear it. The, the, po the point that you mentioned about the diversity and inclusion is exactly what this company has been preaching since George Floyd's incident. And, <laughs> you know, it's, um, 
it's a it's it's very important to pay attention to the actions that are being done as opposed to what they're preaching because I literally just had a young black male coming from Duke University, the business school, contacting me and saying, Hey, I heard about, you know, your company. I'm thinking about joining. Can you give me a, you know, a good idea of what's going on with the company and diversity and inclusion? Cause they're, they preach it really hard on their webpage. So I really want to know how is everything, <laughs> you know? Um, and I had to tell him this story. I had to tell him this exact story and kind of warn him off from actually coming into the environment. Cause I don't want to be responsible for somebody else coming in. But just like you said, I can't really say that to every single coworker that was in that call. Like that's the only thing that I had an issue with. There's some that came to me and talked to me and said, oh, Jay, Hey, time to go. And then there are other ones that are, they're kind of like, well, you know, it's an opportunity. And I, I you know, I, I don't know really how to phrase it to them or pull them to the side or if I should. So I've been kind of half and half. I've, I've told them things and, found out information and and that's all I could really do. But this other gentleman that's outside of the company, I can give him the full deal, you know, because he's not even in yet, you know, but that's just a a side note as to what else is going on there. I'll mute my. Hmm. Much obliged for the additional details, sir. Um, I, I guess the two things I would add, uh, one, he said about the young fella at Duke, uh, fellow, I already mentioned UVA, fellow ACC school, Atlantic Coast Conference. Woo! Uh, but it is, that is the confusion in terms of a young non-white person, if it's classified as black or whatever it is, in my view, if you want to know how they treat black people, non-white people, in my view, that's a different question than what do they do with regards to diversity and inclusion? Like, do you mean like what kind of projects do you have? Or are you just talking specifically like how am I treated? Do I get promotions? Do I get my raises? Like, do I think I'm about to get fired for Black History Month? Like, that's getting more to the specifics. Like, you should not have any sort of uh, expectation about tacky lip service like do you mean do they have a statement on their website about George Floyd do you mean that they wear kente cloth for Dr. King's holiday that sort of thing like if it's you know how black people are treated okay now that's getting closer to helpful uh, information and what have you with regards to sharing this young fella uh, he's a college student that's trying to get details right on, helping him out, giving him a better understanding of what to expect in a work environment, that expecting that all of this is just folly uh, and white people pretending that they are not racist, white supremacists, uh, but not really doing anything to help the black people that are there other than telling racist jokes, maybe when they can't hear them, maybe. But in terms of the other black people, like, oh, man, I'm not... I'm, in my view, it's risky. You got other black people and they, hey, this is an opportunity, man. What do you think, Gus? They're giving us a chance. Mm. 
Max might be. It could be. I'm not saying anything else because I have no idea if this is a victim that white people have given this person, this victim, an assignment. Go see if you can, you know, hear what they're going to say. What do they ha- what they have to say about the program? And then report back to, oh, man, everybody was excited. So we got that one coon, Gus. He's over there and talking about how he's all skeptical about this. And he doesn't think it's going to be a chance. And he's giving us all the side eye and all the rest. Of, mm, mm, very good. Very good. Could be that sort of thing. Could be just for real. They really think that this is a sincere opportunity and hear about some no count Negro. In fact, I'm going to go tell on you because we've had people who said that's exactly what happened. They tried to report truthful information about racism, white supremacy, and they went and snitched on them. So, Gus, yes, sir, you're you're spot. You're spot on. I have to give you credit for that. That's exactly what happened the same day that I got notification that I was moving over to this different department. All of a sudden, a non-white male that never communicates with me, never talks to me, never has any interaction with me in the office or outside, all of a sudden is emailing me and texting me going, hey, I heard you're a part of the move and man, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. It's, whew, dad, you know, your life, you never know what happens. What do you think about it? And I was just like, oh, wow. Um, this is scary because he's probing. That's exactly what he was doing. Exactly what you said is exactly what happened the same exact day is that I got somebody probing to try to figure out where I stand on it because I've been... um you know, it's it's difficult working in an office, and I've been known to be that outspoken Negro. You know, I've been known to be the one that, no, we shouldn't go into the office. It's a pandemic. Why are we going in? You know, I've been known to be the one to speak out. So immediately they sent somebody in to probe in on me, and I, I dodged it. You know, luckily I dodged it and said, hey, we do the best we can do, and hopefully everything works out. <laughs> and that's all I left them with. But that's exactly what happened. This was very, very tactical as far as an operation. I got I to gotta give them that. Got to give them credit on that. I tell them that. I tell everybody that. Got to give them credit on that. But I dodged it for now. I'll mute my line. Much obliged. We've heard that so many times. You know, uh, I, I say that confidently. It's not anything, you know, to be proud of or to be happy about that you have to have that sort of Uh, skepticism some might even call it paranoia in the workplace but I mean hey some of this is just how white people have operated the plantation for centuries you have a minority group of people dominating the majority of the people on the planet you have to do a lot of getting non-white people to be in conflict with each other to snitch on each other to work against each other and it's easy to instigate and manipulate all that when you dominate and control all these people so I mean oh yeah we just talk promote I want a promotion I want to raise inflation and everything else that they're talking about you mean all I got to do is go out there and say something bad about Gus <laughs> I say 10 things about it Oh, I don't even have to say anything bad about him. You just want me to go and ask him a few questions and tell you what he said? No problem. Or record. You just want me to turn my phone on and record. No problem. 
we've had so many people who said something very similar. This person and I, we don't kick it. We don't hang out. Talk about, man, Kobe Bryant, you believe it's been two years since he passed? Man, who you think's going to the Super We don't talk about nothing. We aren't cool, which is fine. You know, whatever, we're professional. But I mean, to now this hey, what's going on, man? What do you think about the no move? How do you think it's going to go? What do you think? What's your views on it? Like, what? We don't even normally kick it. Uh, okay. This is why I say, hey, I'm not just going to assume that my black brother just wants to come and he's got my black back and I'm going to give him the black one uh, 411 information. No, no. Yep. This is another victim of racism, but there's a lot of snitching on the plantation. There is a lot of conflict. There's a lot of race soldiers using other victims to strengthen and really just get information about other non-white people. So I'm going to talk to you as though everything I say is going to be recorded, written down. Everybody in the company is about to hear what I say. I love it. I'm hoping for the best. I'm going to try to do the best that I can. That's all you got to say. Yep, that's all I got to say. I'm hoping for the best. Try to do the best that I can. Whoop. Got so many things to learn. New job. I have to talk to you later. I don't even have time to do a whole lot of talking. And that's the end of that one. That's another form of compensatory conversation control, not to get in the habit of just, you know, chatting it up in the workplace and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. Nope. And every time you talk, even if you are talking to another person who has like eight great grandparents all born in Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, even then. I'm not talking to them like this is my black brother and I can just say whatever I want to. Nope. Not in a workplace setting. I would even say that even if they were, you know, upset and I think this is lame and there's probably some sort of setup to get rid of us black people and blah, blah, blah. And all. Unless I have a rapport with that person and I, you know, trust this person, that sort of thing, then we can chat. And even then, Am I sure nobody is listening? They didn't stash, a, you know, Alexa or some sort of recording device nearby or whatever else. They don't have cameras in the building and all the rest of it. That sort of thinking, because I mean, hey, no privacy in the work environment. That's just the way that you have to think in 2022 with the type of technology and nosy folks and all the rest of it uh, that, you know, inundate every work environment. That's just the way that you have to behave super codification around what you say uh let's see much obliged for hey. oh yes sir did you get you had more can i ask a question of the caller oh we had a question our caller in ohio what's your question sir uh my question is he moved to a a, a new division or as he said they spun it off and it's a completely new company um how, what percentage of the executive team are black people comprised of? Because he stated that on that Zoom call, it was a Zoom call full of black dudes. And I agree with him. If I saw something like that and I was employed, I'd be like, it's time to go. I've read plenty of articles that speak about when you see black people, uh, even at the upper levels, when it becomes black teams, black CEOs, black vice presidents, 
that's usually the white people handing a, a company that's about to collapse off to the black person. So the black person ends up taking the blame for it. But uh, my question is, how? what percentage of the executive team of this new division or company that's spun out of the old company, what percentage are black? Uh, yes, uh, greetings, caller. Um, basically, I, I, I support the executives. I'm in the technology field of the company, so we support the executives. Um, there aren't that many executives in the company. I'd say out of like maybe a, I'm just throwing a number out because I, I don't have the exact quote, but I'm saying probably out of 100 executives, they're probably like three, you know, that are black. It's just pathetic. Um, but we support the executives, and our job is to obviously all of them to maintain and make sure that they're up and running and everything is fine with their uh, technology. Um, and when we got in the meeting, when I got in that meeting, out of, I'd probably say out of 10 of my coworkers that were in the meeting, seven were black. So wow. immediately when yeah, so immediately when I saw the call, I just was like I I listened for about maybe two minutes and then I dropped off the call and that was it. I I didn't even bother listening because I knew it was the, the jargon that was going to be spilt or spin and spun was about how this is a great opportunity for us and things are going to be you know on the uptick. But um, not only did I see that but i did have somebody and this is something i didn't say in the actual earlier i did have somebody that did a, a real great thing for me as far as codification she um was involved in the split and doing the work of this split when i came to her the following day and told her what happened she pulled me into an office and said it's time to leave this is not a good deal for you. And don't think that it is. She said, I'm telling you all this in confidentiality. Don't speak to anybody else about it, but it's time to go. So don't waste your time in this situation that this is going to be a positive ordeal. Even the, low, even the new company that you're going to has less stability than the one that you're in right now. So... That's that's the tail end of that as far as the the numbers and and what's actually happening with um, both divisions of the company and the actual numbers as far as how many um, black executives are in the company itself. So the so it's a division. It's not a separate company because in my my mind frame, what I think about a separate company is it would have its own uh, you know executive team, then your directors, then your management, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So is, is it an actual own subsidiary that you guys have your own chain of command and then maybe your, your yeah. top brass then communicate with the parent company or is it just like uh, when uh, uh, you know YouTube but YouTube has the team? You get what I'm saying? Separate entity, its own separate company. It's um. Um, connect as far as how the workings are they'll still be working in tandem with the other company but it was important for them to do this kind of split so that they could do this financially because this was a financial move for them this was 
well, obviously there's a racial component too, but this was a financial thing that they wanted to get done before the year ended in 2020, 2021, sorry. So that's, that's exactly the truth. It is split. It is two separate companies and it will continue to be so and function as so. Okay. Hey, Gus, I just wanted to add one other thing. The name of that movie on Netflix is called Outside the Wire. And has Anthony Mackie and some other guy, but the movie's name is Outside the Wire. I think it'd be very interesting if you get to watch it and give your perspective on it. I'm gonna mute my line now. Context of white supremacy, neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, let us know if you all have thoughts. Observations to share, the number 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see, folks, if you have questions uh, based on what's been shared thus far, if any other folks I don't know if they have any of these type of diversion and inclusion equity programs to hire a bunch of Negroes for February. I know we had a person he called in before. He said his job, I don't know if it was doing February, but they had a specific time every year where they would do a whole lot of interviewing of black people. He said it would be you could mark it on your calendar you see a big crowd of black people more than any other time of the year. They would all come in. They interview all these black people and somehow they would get credit like, oh, hey, we're equal opportunity employer. Look, all the black people that we interview. None of them would get hired. But every year bring in our big round of black people. Friday. We support diversity, that type of thing. Like, uh, yeah, we already know you all got, you know. Some sort of goofy racist plan uh, to go with all this where it's not going to benefit any black people uh, with all this. They're just wasting their time and don't even know it. So big uh, or at minimum be on alert. That way you can be surprised if something good happens to all the black people when they get corralled together in a work environment. But generally that is, uh oh, what's going on here? <laughs> let me let me get my act together and Kudos to the black female who, I guess, shared uh, with our mayor caller to let him know uh, and said, hey, you know, have, be discreet with this. This is not for you to go and be yelling and cursing everybody out. Just, hey, they are not looking out for you. It's time to go. Like, man, that's awesome. Don't, you know, be looking and expecting to get that sort of assistance to have somebody just because they're black looking out for you. But man, if you get that sort of help, if you can foster that sort of environment where you at least have one or two people where you all can trust each other and share information like that, bravo. Help you. Hey, not Gus, she got, Gus, mm -hmm. Gus, she got me for, she got me for life on that one. I have to tell you the truth. I told her right there and there, I said, you know, you got me for life. You're not avoiding me for the rest of your life. <laughs> Birthdays, whatever you want, holidays. <laughs> I'm showing support and I'm showing respect because she didn't have to do that at all. You know, so I have a lot of respect for her. Very well pointing that out. Mm -hmm. 
don't, you know, like I said, we shouldn't go into a work environment expecting it just because it's a black person, male or female, just because they have a certain amount of melanin. They, oh, they'll let me know, you know, nothing crazy is going to happen without them giving me the heads up. If they do, awesome. <laughs> don't take it for granted. <laughs> but maybe they do. Maybe they don't. White people have done a job on us. But if you can foster that sort of connection where you all have that sort of rapport and trust. Awesome. And being discreet when you share that information. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, Let's see. Other folks who dialed in. If you have a hand up commentary to share. Star 6-1 should be with us. Can I be heard? Our Bay Area mom. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Greetings to you and everyone participating in the program. So I want to do workplace racism for myself. Um, oh, I'm the BT at this school. At lots of four schools in the school district. One particular school I spend the most time, well, I spend all day, every other week. Um, Caucasian lady getting her credentials. Um, Everyone is soft. Well, my, my BCBA is very soft for her because that's, you know, they're both, um, Caucasian or white. So I noticed, you know, how they all look out for each other. So anything that goes on, she's always reiterating she needs help. You got to help her. Um, she's, we don't want to lose any new teachers. And she's, you know, all these excuses. She's getting her credentials. It's hard. She's a full-time student. Now, mind you, this lady's got to be 60. So... I still got to do all this stuff. And she's very um, loud and controlling. She's more like a, um, it seems that the the children are, um, there's no white children in the classroom. There may be about eight children in there, maybe 10 on a good day. Um, None of them are Caucasian. Um, She treats the, the ones that are black like, um, like little pets, like she's doing a good deed to these uh, children. Um, when I come, this I guess she thinks that I'm supposed to get them in order. And I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to do, but that's not what I do. I try to work on their behavior. I try to redirect them. I try to model what they're supposed to do to get the children to um, adhere and stay a task. I suggested a point system. I suggested a visual point system for them to also see. Um, I guess my supervisor made her implement it. So it looks nice. The children like it. The class is still disarrayed. She, I noticed that pe- people uh, don't like to be outsmarted or make it seem like you're, you know, more than them. And um, 
I'm just trying to do what I have to do. So me and the teacher, we tend to, um, I'm not as friendly as the other, the black uh, paraeducator. I'm not friendly at all. I'm just kind of a stick and move. You know, I'm doing what I got to do. So she had asked me, um, <laughs> okay, you go to this one, this the little girl that likes to lay under the, um, lay down. I'm sleepy. It, it's her. And it's another little girl. She's back. I don't know if she was sick, but she was gone for a few weeks. So she's back. And um, she craves attention as well. But um, I'm not, my, my um, focus is, uh, three other children, but I don't leave her out. The other one that crazy attention, I just focus on the three. And then I try to help with the other children as well. I try to do the best that I can to maintain order in the class when I'm there. Um, <laughs> so she says, okay, I need you to work with her. So the, the sign is nothing is in order. So I'm waiting. I hear what you're saying. I hear you. So get it together. So I'll, be working with them. I want to hover over them on top of the fact that it's a pandemic and I'm just hovering over them. It's not necessary. I'll wait until it's needed. So I heard you. So she's just like, I guess I didn't snap to it. So she said, I think it would be good if you sat between them. Her and the other girl. Put a chair up. You know, so she's talking to me like I'm one of the children in one of those tones. And so um, I heard her. So then she reiterated it in another fashion. Um, if you get the chair and sit down, the other kids behind you could see. So I did one even better. I just moved to the back. So when I'm needed, I'll go up and then I'll just go back to the back. Watch from afar. So she didn't like that. So I, I'm, on, I'm only saying that because thereafter, I left my backpack in the classroom because I went out to PE with the children to help, I guess, with the um, ones on my case, I guess, so to help them stay on task at PE to the best of my ability. So um, <laughs> I go back in because I leave um, right after their lunch, maybe a few, 15 minutes after their lunch starts, I leave. So I went to look at my backpack and because um, I lost track of time because it was middle of the day or something. I don't know. I was. So anyway, I, let, I went to go get my backpack, and, um, you know, me and another gentleman, we were at the door. Now, mind you, this little man, um, he's not eating. He said he's on a diet. He plays hard soccer. Um, the black teacher made this big to-do about it. I'm not saying it's a problem, but she made this big uh, spill about, he's not eating, he hasn't been eating, and this, that, and the third, and his parents aren't feeding him at home, and it's just this big thing. She made this big alarm. So I said, oh, no. So, like, you want some school lunch? You want? I said, I have some chips. You want some of my chips? Or what's going on? So he was like, no, I don't want it. No, I don't want I just want I eat at home. I was like, okay. And I was telling the, the uh, teachers, the, the, what the teachers, the teachers, assistant, the paraeducator, I said, well, he stated that he he just does he eats at home. He just doesn't want he's not hungry. But he doesn't want it right now. No, that's not true. They're not feeding him at home. His mother told him he was overweight and this that and the other. I said no, but he just told me that he's okay. He's okay. No, 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 no. 
I said, well, he hasn't been eating since I got here. <laughs> so well, I got here at the beginning of the month. They've been letting us go on for this long. I said, look, he said he's okay. He's at home. So I asked him, I said, so basically she's saying that he's not telling the truth. This is the black um, teacher's assistant. It's family that's close to these kids. So anyway, um, I asked him again. I said, so... I said, what do you like to eat for lunch? And he said, hmm? I said, what do you like to eat for lunch? I don't know. I said, no, really, what do you like to eat for lunch? Um, those things? I said, what, what things? Those things. And so he's doing his little fingers and twisting them. I was like, things. The Lunchables? Yeah. I said, oh, okay, I'll bring your Lunchables in next time I come. So he's looking at me. Okay. I said, if I bring it, you're going to eat it? Yeah. So the other, the day that I came was yesterday. So, um, anyway, that same day when I go to get my backpack, um, it's him and I at the door. He wants to get his soccer ball. So he knocked on the door. The teacher had the door locked. So she's locked in there all locked. So, uh, she opens the door. What do you want? <laughs> so, he said, I want my soccer ball. <laughs> Why are you leaving there? So I look, I said, um, can I get my backpack? So she slammed the door in my face and um, goes and gets his ball. And then she acts like, oh, I didn't see you right there. I didn't see you. Excuse me, I'm just coming to get my backpack. I bring the um, lunch box. So when I see the little boy that morning, because I think that's my first school. Yes, yeah, so when I see the little boy that morning, I said, well, I bought you a lunch box. He huh? I said, so I bought you stuff. Really? So I gave it to him at lunch. Um, and his, I got him a little Gatorade to drown, though, because that's what I had in the refrigerator I wanted. So, and I don't buy pork, so I had to get the turkey, and the turkey didn't come with the drink. It just came with the cookie. So I was like, well, I got Gatorade. He plays soccer. He's like, you know, I got the flavor kind. So um, I gave it to him. So as I was giving them to him, this little girl was like, she's a fifth grader, so she's older. She's like the oldest in the class, so she's like the mother hen to help the teacher out. So she, uh, <laughs> she said, what's that? I said, uh, I got him a Lunchable. He had, he brought his lunch. He had lunch. I said, okay, well, he got lunch and a Lunchable. <laughs> so she, he, he had his lunch. I said, okay, so now he got two lunches. He hasn't been eating, right? No. I said, well, I brought him a Lunchable. I told him I would bring him a Lunchable. Well, she's, oh, you're so nice. I said, well, thank you. So then maybe like five minutes later, she's, can you bring me one? Like, oh, bring a lunch. So, when I got in the um, cafeteria, you know, I, um, I watched this particular little girl make sure she gets her little stuff. So it was chicken day. So everybody had chicken. Everybody was a hit. And they had their little roll. So even the little girl, she got 
chicken too. She normally just gets um she if she doesn't bring her lunch, she'll just get um cereal. So she'll have they know to give her her kind of cereal and she gets her milk, but she got chicken too and cereal. So she goes to sit down. So I look over and the little boy is eating. So he hasn't working there, but he was eating. And so Gatorade for later. It didn't seem wherever he's putting it. So um just kept saying thank you. So I left and um went about my way. My supervisor came to my came to this other school that I was coming to and she was just talking to me and she was telling me that um asking me about that particular class and how was the point system working. I said, I think it's working pretty well and um uh, something else. And then she said, well, she's always complaining about you. I said, I'm sure she is complaining about me. Yeah, she said, so um, I don't know what's wrong with this lady. She's, uh the class is just a mess. It's everywhere. She said, so don't get caught up in the drama. Uh, just do deal with the behavior. And um, I said, yeah, I'm you know, not. She's like, because that lady, the teacher is all over the place. I don't know what she's doing. I don't even understand. And then the teacher's aide is because she doesn't understand, you know, however, she is a bit aggressive or however, but I don't know their style. I don't mean, when I say aggressive, I don't mean aggressive. I just mean since the lady talks about me, she also talks about this other lady. So she talks about her to higher ups to where it got to where people's jobs were in jeopardy because of how she's saying things as if there's no use. They're not doing anything to help her because she can't get a grip on the class. But when you give instruction, she doesn't want to take the instruction. She wants it to be her ideas, and her ideas aren't, they're not working. So my point system is working. So um, the way I do stuff, the mints, I make sure, like, so I go over by the behavior um, intervention plan, and I make sure I implement, I go by the plan. So you don't have to go by the plan, but I'm going to model going by the plan because it gets the task done and you don't have the children jumping all over the place. But um, what um, I did do is I'm going to be going to her class in the evening, in the afternoon anymore. I'll go to another school because I had that option because you're going to, you deal with the class all day and, and, you're not going to talk. I don't know who you think you are, but that's why I appreciate this program, too, because it helps you know how to deal with stuff. So I'm not close. I just stick and move. I do what I have to do. But I see how envious some people are. And um, just because you don't have that style doesn't mean you take it out on me. And um, I'm very cautious. So I just watch everybody and all the teachers, but particularly her, because I spend the most time in her classroom and I'm able to do stuff with the children that she hasn't been able to accomplish since August. So um, (laughs) I will leave my line and thank you for allowing me to speak. Much obliged, Bay Area mom. Mm, That is... uh, I took notes like 
one we've had so many folks like in so many different fields they've had the exact same experience in terms of a black person non-white person just showing that they're competent on the job like the black person didn't come in trying to embarrass them and you know Shaw you don't know nothing let me show you how to get it done and all the ignorant white not at all just going about competently doing their job and somehow as opposed to the white person who sometimes is the supervisor or you know certainly the person who is making more money has more power they somehow they're not happy like man got a competent team member we're gonna be great last guy we had was a real idiot like wow it is gonna be awesome she is great get all kinds of things gun great class we really whip these children in straight man like wow no 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 oh my god Negra's making me look bad like wow she's got a plan and competent getting things done the children respond to her and all the rest we've seen this repeatedly where this is intimidation oh man and we've heard this Emmy talked about this in uh, med school right now when she taught you add in competent don't let you be young black lady in shape attractive look like you don't just sit around and eat Cheetos all day long like, oh my god Ugh. then now she's upset about all that it's I'm going to control this nigger's body. Go go stand over there. She says, hey, you know, we got the Rona. I don't want to be hovering and all that. I'll just get position where I can observe. I'll be right there if they need something. No, 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 no. I think, I think it would be better. You're not blocking all the students if you go and stand, stand right in between. Like, you have to control the exactness of my black body. Exactly where I can stand or sit and all of it. Just got to manipulate me, right? She says, no just going to go to the back of the classroom stand right there have her get an attitude about that mm, uppity uppity niggers not fine that's why see right there like got this uppity nigra who is competent she's got her little raggedy point system and getting the children to listen to her and all the rest of it oh, can't stand her wait till i get out of class i'm gonna go tell everybody this is no count which doesn't even do what i say and, and all the rest of it that is so much of that in the workplace Mr. Fuller has that 10 stops about that gossiping as opposed to you're a new hire. Let's work out a system where we can really support these children in the best way that we possibly can. Two heads better than one. Finally got some. No, 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 no. I'm going to sit around and gossip. And apparently it gets so bad. You got folks coming in. Is everything going all right? I mean, wow. You didn't know if we needed to fire you all. Maybe you are a terrible hire, even in the midst of us having a labor shortage because she just complains about you all all the time. That's the system of white supremacy racism. And you know the incorrectness of it because I've only been here two years. Like, do I get an opportunity to correct anything? If you're having a problem, you, this can't even be something where you let me know. We try to address it and make, give me a chance to make improvements. Nah. Ah, she's so worthless. Why'd you even hire her? Ah, she's the worst. Ah. Such a worthless employee who checks in. Now, she claims 
got this little nigger boy and oh my gosh he just won't eat because they picked on him and all the rest of it and told him that he's tubby and fat and always gotta eat gotta eat oh okay we'll check in see you know he says he's okay he says that's not the case okay uh, pay attention what do you like to eat lunchables okay get you a lunchable brings him the lunchable he's eating that not that i advocate lunchables that right there that'll kill you too processed food and cheese and all the rest of it i used to love lunchables when i was his age love them but yeah that's neither here nor there anyway he loves it awesome lunchable got my gatorade Ah, oh, great other students you're so nice i can't believe it you bring me a lunchable sure i'll get you one too oh my gosh connecting with the children why wouldn't that be something to brag about? Why not talk about like that? Wow, she's making all these connections with the children and trying to check in with them, see what they like and being so generous with them and letting them play on her phone. Nah, 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 nah. Said that for years. Competent black person, you go in the workplace, you really are sincere, you want to do a good job, work hard. Nah. We don't care. You're just a nigger. We're thinking about firing you too gossiping about you too I love it the as she described it stick and move I can work other places I'm not coming here one I'm not coming here surprised about that this this white woman's conduct her trying to control my body the way that she's talking to these students and being all aggressive and hostile this is again the root of the school to prison pipeline is right here but she said I'm not going in all surprised about all this I understand what I'm looking at race soldier I got it adjust my behavior adjust how I respond and adjust how much I have to even be around you minimize some of my contact with you directly and then I mitigate as I can your influence with these children's but that's that is you know one of the core reasons we have this program to recognize how common this is so many of us we go into work environments working hard going above and beyond the call of duty race soldiers don't care you're a no count ignorant nigger in fact the fact that you have shown competence just further motivates me to want to get you fired in the midst of a labor crisis we don't even have teachers to come in here and help with these students I don't care racism above all uppity nigger so disgusting uh much obliged for sharing bay area mom i still feel like this is better than being in people's houses and things like better pay and you have a little bit more control over the work environment like even with all this it's not going to be nirvana right long as we're under the system but if you got to be on the plantation this seems a little better than where we were before you can let may, me know may i say something real quick yes ma'am Okay, so it is. It's totally much better. I totally and the principal of the school that the supervisor was talking to me at uh, today walked up and said, "She is the best. She is the best. I, I want her full time. I want her full time." And the supervisor said, um, "Yeah, I hear you, but she's a floater. So no, no. But yeah, I'm I'm the stuff. So um, I want I interjected because I wanted to say school to put." Uh, pipeline, school to prison, pipeline. Yeah, so the bell rings. When the bell rings at this district, uh, elementary school, this is all the Oliver Zerd Elementary School, 
as soon as the bell rings, recess, lunch, I believe, the children must hit the ground. Must hit the ground. Like, hit the ground, drop. Like, to the ground. Everybody at once. And, um... I pay more attention now to it, how they all just drop, and then the ones that don't drop, they get in, they get fussed at, like, you know, there's always somebody on the yard duty, kind of like prison guards. So they're on the yard uh, watching the children, and as soon as that bell rings, everybody must drop, and the ones that don't, they get that. They get scolded. And um, um, I, I just think that's, that that's something different, and I was this little girl was swinging in the swing. The little girl, I'm sleepy, so she was swinging in the swing. And when that bell rang, she was all the way up as high as the swing could go. And when that bell rang, she was coming off. The bell rang, and she just jumped out of the swing and just hit the uh, hit the ground. <laughs> because when that bell rings, you got to hit the ground. That's just how programmed they are. So okay, I'll meet my line. That is so disgraceful. Like, uh, <clears throat> it's a whole lot of things to consider before conception, right? 200 questions and everything. Like, that would have to be one. There is no way we can have our child like some Pavlov rodent where every ring of the bell, oh, on the ground freeze on the ground and then if you don't hey, what are, you like, are you serious you are training convicts this is not about education academic 2022 what's the point is this like you went and looked at all the folks who graduated like magna cum laude from ivy league schools and went on to start like fortune 500 companies or you know made all kinds of stem advances and such right or became extraordinary college level teachers and what have you published books and all that you went and looked at their academic background and that's the thread that you saw like oh man their whole time through you know k through 12 they had a little bell that just immediate bam they jumped on the floor that's how they made all their progress. So you'll do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Training the next generation of convicts. That's what that is. Just having the niggers under control like Pavlov's dogs. Like I said, in that same, and see you go in and you think I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to show up on time. Respect the safety protocols, right? Not trying to get all the children infected distancing all the rest of it they'll appreciate me right they're understaffed so they will appreciate a hard worker someone who wants to come in here and do sincerely good work with each other yeah. principal comes out you are amazing let's get you full time that's right and let's make sure that I get the benefits of a full time employee and an increased salary yes yes what is the white one and she, she just floating no what is that? Why are you even here? Oh, to practice racism. I just said school to prison. Oh, I got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> That's why you're here. Killing the motivation of staff and students. 
Like, let me, let me gassing her up like this no-camp nigga woman. She's a floater. That's all she is. She's not full-time, and I'm going to see that. I got some more gossiping to add to her personnel record. Full-time. <laughs> got to fix, fix her wagon. That's your sister in solidarity talking about us. Us women got to be in it together with these no-count patriarchal men. White women educators, yes. Uh, the number again, seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four. Nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see, much obliged our Bay Area mom. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, commentary to share, uh, input on the COVID 19 situation changes in policy and procedure questions suggestions on what's been shared thus far line should be open proceed may i be heard can i ask it right ahead sir i was going to ask a question to bay area mom but uh, i'll go right wait till after sir oh you You can go ahead sir uh just real quick i wanted to ask Barry mom just two quick questions one um does she, she see other um, people or run into other non-white people that are codified as herself uh, as far as male or female? Um, and overall, does she see how what's like the percentage of even black men also teaching in these um, in some of these schools? I'm, I'm kind of curious because I've, I've heard a very low number, but I've and I'm on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast. I'm curious if the same is, is occurring over there. I'll mute my line. Okay. Um, there, I haven't seen one black male teacher. Um, I, and I, I work at four schools in the district, and they only have eight elementary schools, maybe two high schools, and I might be pushing it to three middle schools. So I've only seen none as black males. Um, and as far as males in general, <clears throat> they are a little, uh, they, they're white or non-black. You might see a couple of Asians, but um, for the most part, they're a little um, softer. So, um, and as far as uh, non-black people, similar um, or close, or aiming to be close is um, I haven't seen any um, the paraeducator she's more uh, I guess she's more uh, emotional so she's in her feelings because she feels some kind of way because I guess what she's endured from this teacher so she's learning um, to just keep it because what I told her was just keep everything business just keep it just do your stuff and go home do what you got to do here. Go home. You don't have to small talk with the lady. Just do what you got to do. Go home. So um, that's as close as I would get. Um, and maybe the teacher, um, another teacher, the one that was showing the uh, film, the uh, the clip of the uh, the um, the, the um, superintendent that was saying oh, it was, the children were safer at school. 
she was the way she was speaking, she was questioning everything, especially to even play that uh video. So but other than that, no. And I'll mute my line. Yeah. Um, thank you. I was I was very curious because we, as far as the black men in schools thing, um, it seems to be a common theme and something that over here on the on the East Coast, they're they've actually spoken about and they're trying to resolve um, or trying to do something and bring more uh, attract more black men into the field. Um, and yeah, you know, um, VGQ for the the person that you're working with that's and frustrated and upset because. You know, they're, they're at a different space and they're still learning just like we all are. So I, I completely understand that. Definitely, times I am there. So I get it. Um, thank you for answering my questions. I appreciate that. Peace. Hmm. Right on. Do not let too many black male educators into the classroom. Anywhere, it seems. New Jersey, California, anywhere. Uh, thank you for your patience, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to guests, the hosts, the listeners, and callers. Uh, there have been some observations throughout the week I'd like to share. Um, the first is there was an email sent out uh, by the uh, the warden, a white woman. Um, and the first thing on this one is that I noticed that there were a lot of retirees listed and CC'd in the email. And I think that had a lot to do with the openings um, for, for about like three positions. And she basically was saying that we use our staff and retirees as a uh, sources to I guess get new applicants or whatever so I think uh, racism was practiced because I counted the names right like I counted the names of black people who retired and I only got five black and one non-white non-black so I have six now I counted the white people I got 51 names so I think it's pretty obvious of who uh, she might be looking to um, to get an interview with. So I wanted to report that. Um, and they, it looked like they updated the applications too. And they got uh, the racial classifications and uh, something about a research and report thing that I'll have to read um, next week that I found interesting. Um, my next one was there was uh, some unjust networking going on about the uh, black female supervisor in the civil department. Okay. Um, there is a white woman that used to be a supervisor in the other building. She came back out of retirement. So um, some victims of racism have informed me that this person uh, is an instigator, as they say, likes to start conflict, right? So she has been coaching a new uh, white woman, a younger white woman, and 
they all talk about how this black female tries to get them to do their work and things like that. So there's one white woman is saying that she was told that, you know, you weren't doing any like kind of work, constructive work or anything. You were just twirling your hair, you know, and they were trying to talk about the context of that. And this uh, older white woman who also was in the texting chat on the phone um, said, you know, you should have told her like how I did talking about this black female you should have said something like I said, something smart ASS. You know, I try to um, limit the, the vulgarity, but that's what she said, smart ASS. A smart ASS comment to her. And she admitted that she was uh, being discourteous. So, um, and then she added to it, you know, that's why she didn't F with me for a few days too, up until maybe the other day. So this, you know, she's like in her late fifties, um, and used to be a manager, retired and everything. But this is how she's speaking about this black female. So you know, I just have my earbud in, like I don't hear them, but I do. Uh, so sometimes I record, and other times I don't. Um, my next one is to go on the point where. You were talking about like the uh, the talking with people like you're close with them, you're friendly with them. This is a victim of racism who has been doing this for a while, but I wanted to report at this time because there was a comment made after uh, this white woman walked into the segregated area where all the dark-skinned people are. Um, she said that she brought in donuts and everything like that. And I'm told them, like, I don't eat all of that stuff. You know, I don't eat the food y'all bring in here. So they don't really never ask me. So she, she just came in there and advertised it. And after she said that, she walked up to the black female because she had a court hearing yesterday about her child's father and him having on an ankle bracelet and all this stuff, you know, like, I don't, you know, I don't really get into talking about that kind of stuff, but this is what was said. So uh, she's pretty much just disclosing her personal information to the manager and um, other white people and stuff there. So all I just do is sit there and listen. So she gets up and hugs this clique member uh, because that's what she is. And she's hugging this black female like she sympathizes with her. Um and then right after that, she walks away, and as she's about to leave, she says, um, you know, just remember, you know, I know murder isn't illegal, but just as long as no one else knows. And a, a second white woman now, she uh, latches on in response saying, yeah, you know, it's, it can be no witnesses, and they're smiling and stuff, you know. So that's a part of that, that racist um white supremacist violent culture right there. Uh, and if I could share one more, um, there was uh, like a, a personal phone call that that same one. Well, it was a different white woman. She was talking to someone about her credit card bill or something, you know, and then she started getting rude to the person. Uh, 
And then she made a comment or she wanted to request to speak to a manager. Right. Uh, and then I hear her say that, well, you know, I want to talk to a manager, this and this and that. And then can you make sure she speaks or they speak English? So now as she, you know, she got the ear set in and that's how she's speaking to the person. I, I assume it was a non-white person making that kind of comment. And then the tone, like the inflection and everything, you know, I think she was practicing racism. So, um, so she's waiting and says, Oh, as you can tell, you know, I'm not, I'm not very nice to customer service people. Now, the irony is that we're in customer service. We're helping people. But anyways, um, so the black female comes in and they're about to talk about that. And I asked her a question, right? Like, uh, how I was mentioned, you want to get, you want to get some clarification. So you want to ask, did you say such and such? And I said, well, did you just say that you wanted to, to speak to a manager, someone who doesn't, or someone who speaks English? She said, yeah, you know, I want to speak to someone who speaks English. And she said it just like that, you know, you know, no fear, nothing. So I said, okay, thank you. Um, and I just went back to doing my work. Uh, and my, my last point I wanted to make, um, Gus, I know you, uh, you finally got to see that image. You know, I really wanted to show you that image of, uh, three of those were employees of the courthouse and, um, the warden herself proudly wanted to show that in a newsletter. Um, uh, and they, for some reason they have a fascination with violence. And, uh, there was another white female in the traffic area. I forgot to mention her boyfriend was breaking into people's sheds and houses and the investigators contacted her on the job. And she lied saying that her vehicle wasn't, outside of the courthouse parked outside but yeah it's just a bunch of criminals pretty much over there and uh, that's all i have to share thanks for allowing me to speak why is the rifle photo in the newsletter like we had they had the little they had little uh the black children came to the courthouse to visit and they were going to do their little scared straight and show them what happens to criminals and they took their picture and put it in in the newsletter and then they got his picture in there like 50 times anytime they want to show off their commitment to the diversity and inclusion they put his what is we got armed white women at the wedding and they got their truck we're ready to haul off if we want to do a mass lynching we can purge about a good 80 black people easy got the truck to do it right now like what is why is that in the newsletter why 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 is the courthouse we want to show off our staff we are armed and ready come down here and act nutty if you want to we got the panic button <laughs> we believe in gun rights this is not the place to come down and get unroot like what <laughs> what i don't even I'm even more stunned now that I've seen the photo. Like I had the image that I had in mind when he told us about this last week, because he said this was a wedding photo. So I was thinking more like a glamorous thing. Like, I don't know if the Florida, maybe I was, I was thinking maybe still like Orlando, like Disney world and Miami and all that. Maybe I was not thinking more like North Florida, North Florida, 
rural, rustic. <laughs> like, uh, maybe that's what I should have had in mind. But this is not like, whoa, we came out here and look cute. Not this is like we are ready for the purge right now. Like said the nuptials, click, click, let's get the cracking. Nigga said, what? No idea what this has to do with the newsletter or even what they're trying to convey with the newsletter. Maybe they're changing the tone in 2022. The instigator in the back. Now, again, all this is at the courthouse, right? I would think you're supposed to be modeling civility. So we got guns in the newsletter. We got the white instigator in the back. Starting trouble. I mean, I'm all about, hey, let's be G-rated, especially in the workplace. Let's be G-rated. Let's be professional. That's not her creed. See how I talk to her? You should have done the same thing. Why is that modeled? Like, you got all the people at the courthouse. They model and encourage, tell other people, you are supposed to talk to fellow employees. Talk to them rude. Snap at them. He talked, remember, he had the, it was a white man previously who came in and was yelling get to work shut up turn around that's how you're supposed to talk to everybody and then he told our caller he told her that's the way you talk to him too you tell her you know what and say hey turn around don't look at me get to work right now chop chop this wife just you should have said some sort of smart a comment ass comment to her that's why she doesn't f with me i can't imagine that's me or anybody in the segregated area really what the warden walks by and you said what you got patrons and things coming to the courthouse we're trying to get documents research you know the the history of racist housing covenants in north florida and this is the way you all are talking about other co-workers (laughs) no less like what in the world it and is this encouraged in how we're supposed to talk to white people too? Although the white guy, he was saying this to other white people, but whatever. All the, you know, say something smart, smart ass to her and all the rest. Like, really? You talk that way to other white people too? Uh, and then being all in your business. I've talked about this repeatedly. Number of folks, you really don't want to share your private matters, things that are going on in your family or what have you. With white people, they would just use this as ammunition uh, against you and gossip too uh, in the workplace. Uh, but them finding out like this sort of situation, uh, I think you have someone and they had some sort of court matter, unfortunately, uh, and may have been, you know, her partner or former partner, or whatever it is. Uh, he's there, got an ankle bracelet. Racists do lock up a lot of black males. Uh, so I guess they saw all of this. Uh, it might have been some unjust networking there where somebody thought, oh, come on, oh, oh look, she's been going, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. Wonder what he did. Rape somebody, rob somebody. They do all that. Then they come in the next day. Oh, girl, we're just so concerned about you. Oh, come here, honey. Let's, ugh. Wanted to absolutely vomit. Uh, if this is you, I'm fine. We're just trying to deal with it as best we can like to keep that private thank you kindly that's what I would say like not on my worst day are you serious am I going to be thinking if anything that's really the way I would you know try to process it on my worst day I would not want to think that these gun toting gossiping 
race soldiers you don't care about me you don't care about my partner you just want to come and practice racing oh we so care about you oh come here give me a hug mm. I know you don't care about me because you don't do all that and oh we want to take you out to dinner and get a day off and make sure you're taking care of yourself and we got you a half-eaten bag of peanut m and no 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 you say you know murder is alright sometimes as long as there's no witnesses <laughs> what? how are you saying this in a courthouse? what? I thought they have background checks and stuff for employees. Like, this is a serious job. You got to be vet. What? Oh, you're talking about a nigga male. I see. So we can all in the office join in and talking about killing a nigga male and right on. That's right, girl. Just make sure nobody sees it, girl. Go on and kill him, girl. Unless my memory is really bad and it may be I've been accused of having a terrible memory which might be true uh, this is not the first time somebody has talked about wishing death on a black male at the courthouse I don't think we've heard any of the stories about people wishing death or even hypothetically jokingly plotting to kill anybody else but black males at the courthouse and I think every time it was other black people involved in the conversation unless again now my memory could be bad the people who are most to blame for this are classified as white but I mean think about that the next time you hear black male privilege I'm not perfect I've done some bad things I don't know about this black fella he might be the worst person this side of Al Sharpton that could be true but I mean wow is that what we do here? Gusty Renegade got on my nerves that day, so we're going to sit around and talk about jokingly killing him and that being all right. He's a coon anyway. No witnesses gone to get rid of him, girl. Especially to have race so white women sitting around and acting like we're in it together. We, we, we know about that old toxic patriarchal black male. We know your pain, sister. Gus T might have been talking nonsense. Let's see. Am I am I wrong? Have we heard somebody else at the courthouse in your presence uh, wish death in some way, shape, form on another black male? I think that does sound accurate because um, I have my notes. I have to go through my notes. <laughs> uh, but that that does sound very accurate. Um and just on that, when you mentioned about, like, one day when the white children came through there, it was smiles, and they were doing a tour of the courthouse, and it was, uh, you know, good comments. But then when the black children came in the next day, it was like, oh, this doesn't seem like such a happy crowd or something, you know. Maybe they got up too early. And it was comments like that. I'm like, that's a huge contrast to the white children that came in just yesterday. But yeah, but yes, sir. Um, there have been comments I would say that were made about black males. And just like the one with that same one that mentioned murder, 
she, if you remember, came up and said, hey, if you don't have my food, get out, you know, like, just like that, like, and then came up to the black female, the same one that she gave a hug to, like, I don't care about all that, like, can you go get me some breakfast? Like, just being that blunt and racist. So, and then you had the manager was saying, oh, you know, it's not really that much of a big deal because he, you know, and I do use victim of racism because um, she's been around a lot of the racist white supremacists who use those same, like, rhetorical talking points and things like that. So uh, to answer the question, that does sound accurate. Yes, sir. My memory may be bad. Uh, I, you know, intensely victimized so that memory can be impacted by that. But I thought it might be even in the archives. I thought it was uh, victims talking about a no count baby father uh, and talking amongst themselves saying, I wish he was dead. Uh, that sort of thing out at the courthouse. Like uh, my memory might be dead, might be bad, though. But wow. Um Regardless of what frustrations you might have with your attempted partner, uh, child's father, whatever it is, children's father, children's mother, I would try as best you can to not allow that information to become public uh, amongst your coworkers, white or non-white. Uh, I just don't think you want all of your colleagues into your business that way. You definitely do not want racists in your business in that manner. Nothing constructive is going to happen there at all. They do not care about you. They do not have your back. That'll just be more gossip for them to go and tell everybody in the state of Florida uh, what a no count lame Negro male uh, that you have, just like all the rest of them. Uh, or female, if it's the other way around, same way. That's what it would be. Uh, whew, man. People who are most to blame for all of that, again, classified as white. Uh, mm, 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 mm. The personal call, man, they've come out now. They will come out and chastise other non-white people if they're not following the rules. They'll do this on any sort of workplace. He talked about before white people come in and are not following the rules. They get in, make their personal phone calls and they don't want to come and rebuke them. They'll make some sort of sly group reminder, like real gentle. Oh, watch the cell phones, you know, we're in the work environment, be professional. What is all of this? You got to call and fuss and curse out the non-white person customer representative. I was saying that at the same time. Incidentally, um, she was saying, hey, I don't mind getting on here and cursing out a, a sales representative. Customer representative. Like, whoa, we that's what we do. Uh, you should have some empathy, right? Because that's what we do all day long. You don't want people coming in here and cursing you out and sneezing on you. You should be super empathetic. Like, let me be patient. They're just doing their job. They didn't mess up the order. They're trying. No, 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 no. No count non-English speaking, non-white people getting on my nerves and messed up my Amazon goodies and rent. <laughs> Not only do you have no shame about doing this at the courthouse. I don't think she was on her lunch break. Maybe she could have been. But you don't have any shame about that. And being on the phone for your personal con uh, business or whatever it is. And then when it's I want to speak to somebody who speaks English. Put a white person on the phone. Might as well have said it that way. Put a white person on the phone. Tired of all this. And he went up to ask, did you just say you want to talk to somebody? Yes, that's what I said. 
got all these bean counters and what have you on the phone. I'm trying to get my order correct. Yes, ma'am. Right on. Just want to verify. Get back to, get back to the segregated section. Thank you kindly. I don't know. Now maybe Just, you can, can I add something? Let's hear it. Now here, here's the uh, the double whammy. Not only did she say that, that's the same white woman that's about to marry a black male. Tragic arrangement. So I want to add that kicker in there. That's the same one. Excuse already built in. I'm definitely not a racist. You see my husband? He's talking about race. I'm just mad they can't get my order right. You should be able to get some people. Get people to work the phones who speak English. How about that? Talking nonsense. Trying to get my. That there. Tacky. It does not get in. And you want to talk about gossiping. Man, I am certain they have gossiped about her and the entire crowd uh, that he works with where they are in the. Uh, the Mud Shark Club. Uh, they got the bedroom integration thing going on. I am sure it's all kinds of workplace gossip and unjust networking and texting uh, about all of that activity as well. But be that as it may, she is still uh, classified as white. White woman, suspected racist, and there you go. Uh, right there, all the way through. Um, I don't even know. Like I said, with the, with the if anything, the firearm, that would be a reminder. That's Gavin DeBecker. He talked None of that is appropriate for the workplace anyway. This is not the environment to be showing off your firearms and whatever you shot on your weekend hunt uh, and guns and ammo. What's in this week's publication? None of that is uh, appropriate for a work environment, especially if we're talking about promoting a safe work environment. And the same thing I emailed him like, now, if that had been he and his homies, groomsmen, what they call it, for the wedding, they had went out, took a, they want to pose right in the hills uh, with their pickup truck in behind them or a tree or whatever it is. And they want to give a pose and uh, a monument to Emmett Till, something of that nature, the sign for the Florida crackers. Mm. I don't think they'd have been talking. Like, yeah, we need to put this in the newsletter. This is amazing. Look at it's right on time for Black History Month. Isn't it? And I say the same if it had been his hypothetical black bride. Same thing. They want to take a pose and have plaque to Zora Neale Hurston or some other Florida icon. Dr. Harry T. Moore, his wife, Henrietta Moore. I don't think so. Black identity extremist. That's what it would have been. Not let's put this in the newsletter. This is amazing. Much obliged caller in Florida. Uh, to in, incidentally, for listeners, take all of that seriously. Anybody, they're doing photos, paraphernalia, talking about firearms in the, firearms in the workplace. That is super serious, super inappropriate. Nothing to be minimized. Might be the type of firearm that they have planned to bring into the workplace for you or your colleagues at some point. Uh, other folks, commentary this year. Hello, can I be heard? Uh, vegan RD, I believe. Yes, ma'am. Greetings to all. Um, uh, I, I missed all the clips today, um, but I just wanted to quickly discuss what um, happened this week at my 
employment. Um, so I've been trained to get a higher position. Uh, it's called a community mental health nurse. Uh, and I've been trying to get this position since November. Uh, I've been trying to contact HR for since November, but every two weeks I've been sending a status up, um, requesting a status update on that position. Um, today I found out that um, one of the administrators was asking about that position for me and um, was pressuring HR to actually um, put me in, in that position temporarily until um, they can contact Albany to um, make that position permanent for me. And then um, another um, thing that came up was that um, one of my um, new clients that I just interviewed this week was um, given to me because um, um, while she was on our inpatient unit, um, someone was practicing racism against her. So my supervisors, this is a white female director and a non-white female case manager, both decided that it would be best for me to be her case manager because there's only really two fem black females in um, our clinic, which is me and my coworker, the other nurse that I work with, but she she's um, black and Hispanic, and I'm black and born in this region of in America. Um, so they thought it would be best to pair me with her because she's also non-white black female born in America. Um, so it just made me think that it could be a way to avoid for our this clinic to avoid um, this patient complaining about racism being practiced against her again while she's here. And that's all for now. Hmm. Imagine that, a patient having a report, allegation of racism being practiced against them. Um, if you are able to work with her, that's great. Maybe if you all can get a great report that'll help with her treatment and that's at least one thing theoretically she doesn't have to worry about i got a non-white staff member i don't have to worry about being victimized and uh subject to racism um with the position so did you get the position after your supervisor was inquiring about this to, to get you in this position temporarily until they make it permanent or are they still stalling so the h hr is still working on it so i have to contact them to to clarify whether or not they're going to temporarily put me in that position. They haven't given me any documentation, so uh, without documentation, nothing is actually done. I see. I see. Okay. Well, I guess we will we'll hope for the best then uh, in the meantime, and yeah, hopefully they will will give it to you. Um, yeah, I don't won't, won't even say anything to uh, jinx it, as they say. Um, but yeah, hopefully, yes, they will push it through. Uh, I know sometimes the system of white supremacy, they can be sluggish uh, in moving. Even when they have a position and have vacancies, uh, they can be slow to move a black person into that position when they're qualified, would do a great job and all the rest of it. Eh, you sure we can't find a white person? You're positive we can't find a white person? Ugh. Uh, 
double check see if you can find a cousin somebody be sure that type of thing but hopefully that will not happen here you will get the position and they'll make it permanent even not temporary permanent uh switch so that'll be uh two quality things to report uh much obliged vegan rd uh working hard as a mommy uh and trying to help other folks out in the medical industry uh i guess we're almost done i'll double check we'll be here tomorrow that's one compensatory call in 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific uh we'll catch up on what happened over the past uh seven days uh basically the first month of january new year uh and then we'll also we should be here on monday yes 31st we should be here on monday uh there is vegan rd i believe in the new york area uh there's a white man he wrote a report uh, about how you can successfully get information uh, about enforcement officers who've been disciplined or whatever conduct records uh, there might be on any discipline or allegations of misconduct uh, how you can obtain this information seems a lot of police departments they do a great job uh, of concealing these details uh, and he talked about the procedure I think he's uh, yeah I said that he's an attorney uh, he talked about the procedure that he went through to get these documents he said well I don't know if it's easy or not but it's something that you can do uh, he wrote a whole post out explaining what to do and this is what to write this is how to fill out the forms and everything uh, so you can duplicate this to get information uh, race, race soldiers in your region what have they been up to have they been disciplined all the rest of it but that should be Monday white guests only is a white man be curious as to why he was interested in doing all of this to begin with uh, anywho that's Monday we'll be here tomorrow 9 p.m. Eastern at 6 p.m. Pacific compensatory call in uh, folks satisfied or anything they need to get in uh, our last moment before we wrap up hey Gus I had a question for the, uh, the guy who works at the courthouse uh, did they have that event where they opened up the uh, <clears throat> courthouse that was named after, I believe, a black judge yet? You spoke about it, I want to say, maybe November, December, that they're supposed to have some event to honor, quote, unquote, this uh, black judge. So did that event occur? Oh, yeah, yes, sir. Um, they had it uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, and... I'm glad he mentioned that uh, there there was like a a small be like what I mean when I say small it wasn't too much said uh, because it was going into the the doctor uh, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend um, so as I walk to work I do see where his name the the black judge's name is on the courthouse and they did have the uh, the ceremony where a lot of the judges came uh, to. Uh, I guess participate in different speeches and they unveil the, where his picture is inside the courthouse and everything. So, but of course I think racism was practically there too. And I've been trying to do some more, um, research on the history. His name is judge Stephen Mickle. Uh, and he went to UF university of Florida through the, 60s and I think they were trying to do articles about him and Dr. King as well so I'm going to try and look into that did they spell his name correct in the courthouse or and did they use like uh his uh what's that thing called um 
mugshot picture for the photo they put inside the courthouse? It looked like it was one of those portrait paintings of him with the judge robe on and the uh, the county seal behind him. From what I uh, from what I seen. Hmm. Right on, right on. Uh, let us know if you find any information uh details uh and you know any reports or what have you it would be fascinating i guess just to hear about his life and experience even his experience at the university of florida like i'm assuming this is an older black male so they're probably i'm guessing i'm not you know uh, a scholar florida history but i would assume there probably weren't a ton of black students at the university of florida at the time that he went through law school there so yeah he probably has some interesting stories uh his career and being an attorney and cases that he had here and what have you especially given what you've told us about the folks the folks who populate the courthouses and what have you i'm sure he could uh he could probably regale us with some stories for months about workplace racism uh, and what he's seen. But, yeah, let us let us know the results of your uh, research. If you find anything like that in links where he talks about his his time and history of racism, let us know. Uh, with that, we will call it a broadcast for today. We'll be here in about 24 hours for the compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific this Saturday. Uh, we had all those goofy audio issues last week where people couldn't hear me uh, when I was speaking at first. I was all looking forward to talking to talking about the report on uh, sleep deprivation and how unhealthy that is. We have so many people who emailed me. Uh, we weren't even able to really talk about that report on the program Saturday, but so many people wrote in uh, to talk about them being sleep deprived and how it's related to racism and how that's been such a big problem for them. Maybe we can make time for that tomorrow. Anywho, uh, much obliged for everyone calling in. Hopefully it was worthy of your Friday evening. Uh, sobriety would be best. Alice Siebold gave us all the narcotics use we need for like the year. In addition to being sober, if you're out and about, uh, you are not in any verbal confrontations with strangers. Uh, you should be thinking like the white brides down in Florida. Man, these chicks, these dudes could be armed, could have an entire armed entourage at the ready. If you didn't leave your residence prepared to die and or kill. Exit. You do not want to run into Kyle Rittenhouse and whoa, assault rifle rifle. That's not what I was prepared for. If you're in a vehicle, you are sober, you're buckled up, you're not on the cell phone, uh, just doing the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. And we need all of our attention. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time 
replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>